0: You don't care. I think... Well, oh, it's a great way to start. You don't care.
1: I didn't say I didn't care. I just... I mean, I did say I didn't care. Welcome
0: to Frame Rate. No, Cohen Brothers Brothers. We don't care. God damn, dude. We're just... We've lost all... We're not that's doing not true. good podcasts. That's not true. We care a ton.
1: Yeah, I, I
0: really care about
1: these next two movies. We're the
0: Cohen Brothers Brothers and we care a ton. Well, uh, I'm Michael
1: Swain. I'm Abe Epperson and this is the podcast where we talk about the Cohen Brothers as brothers... And no. also we're brothers.
0: That, some of that is true.
1: <laughs> we kind of talk about them as brothers, but mostly their movies as we chronologically go into their filmography. Which and, is also
0: now not true thanks to the Buster Scruggs yeah, episode. Yeah, goddamn nothing. ruined forever. We can't
1: win. But today we're talking about 2000's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?
0: Yes. Which is just one movie. Yes. You said two movies. Cause Just we're because we do these in couples. In the day, right? yeah,
1: see behind the curtain, people. A
0: peek behind the curtain. As always, we'll be discussing Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Through Three Spectra, Diegesis, Pedagogy, and how do you Do That? Mm. Uh, and we start with diegesis, which is basically what happened in the movie. What'd you think? Like... The stuff that happens in the movie. Yeah,
1: scene by scene, things that happen, and not what they mean necessarily, but, like, kind of plot stuff and, like, interesting. Not getting
0: too bogged down in in every detail.
1: We'll take little digressions into not what it means philosophically, but, like, what it means to the story and little things you might have missed. But ultimately, it's just a uh, play-by-play.
0: Yeah, uh as Abe said 2000 you got Clooney, Turturro and Tim Blake Nelson. God, yeah. New to the Cohen canon.
1: At this point, yes, very much so. Well,
0: Buster Scruggs himself now. Yeah. But uh, those are his only two Cohen roles, right? I
1: believe you're right. Yes.
0: Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, it seems like he's done more just cuz he's so indelibly like Delmar really made an impact on Oh that.
1: yeah. In both cases, but in this mm. case he is so delightful i mean they're all delightful are they? the big three everett uh pete and delmar delmar yeah. being tim blake nelson uh they're all perfectly three stooges but they're unique in their own way like they all they feel like cartoons because like Totoro's so tall and he mm. acts through his teeth you know like tim blake nelson's kind of s- short and small stature and like axe through his eyes. And when I say axe through, it's like all of, that, like as a cartoon character, that's throwing an ax through his eyes. Yeah. And uh, of course, every clue from his hair, from his hair, <laughs> yeah, uh, let's start Diagesis um, with just like, or you had something. Well, right? I was just
0: going to say, yeah, the, the bros, the sea bros, the sea bros, J and E, they have uh, referred to this as a three stooges in a way. Uh, Just like they referred to uh, Raising Arizona as sort Mm -hmm. of a Looney Tunes. And you Mm -hmm. can see that for sure. I would also add so there's the classic comedic. Sorry, I reminded myself it's a Simpsons line. Mm -hmm. Itchy and scratchy form a dramaturgical dyad. (laughs) Right. And there is the classic comedic dyad, which is Odd Couple, uh, Laurel and Hardy, Any Buddy Comedy, Mm Leaf a Weapon. Um, And then there's the classic comedic triad, which is the Three Stooges, but also predates that, and there's many. It's even Fry, Bender, and Leela. Yeah. And so it's just interesting to think of them saying, well, we're going to do ours. It's going to be con men Mm -hmm. in the, like, what are they, uh, Reformation period after the Civil War. Dust Bowl era. Yeah, exactly. And... It's it's delightful. Okay, you're right. Let's get into what happens.
1: Yeah, so this is... Uh, if you haven't watched it, you should go see it. It's uh, a logline would be something along the lines that In the 1930s, deep south in Mississippi, mm-hmm. to be exact, escape conflicts seek for hidden treasure while being chased by a lawman slash demon. That's all that this is really about. But, of course, like any other Coen Brothers movie, there's a bunch of little tiny plots like, you know paterfamilias. Uh, you that's know, more of a line
0: than a plot. But, <laughs> but that's kind of you a mean. plot
1: like getting Holly Hunter back. Yeah, you know? and we
0: should say because it's the first thing you see, but the credits identify it as yeah. an adaptation. I did want to mention
1: thing. it that oh. way though because I think about these Hayseed movies mm-hmm. is that the plots when you really shake them down are really simple. It's just like, group of people want to get thing you know it's usually very simple and then they like fill it in with like this americana vibe that's one of the things i think this which is why i
0: bring up futurama because it could be a sitcom if you (laughs) pardon if you cut it up like they cut up buster scruggs Mm -hmm. This also could have been a serial, but with three recurring characters, because mm-hmm. there's totally liftable sections. Yeah. There's even things where, like, of course, you meet Tommy, mm-hmm. the blues player, and then six episodes later, you'd be like, oh, he's back for the season finale. Right, exactly. Um, and I that makes sense also why, uh, in case you missed it, it's an adaptation of the Odyssey, and they shout it out as that incredibly loose adaptation of the odyssey they, like
1: they're just grabbing like ah you look it's like, more like there's easter a, eggs that cyclops
0: yeah, all of a sudden are about the odyssey right. yeah
1: has the affectations of cyclops yeah
0: but it is worth pointing out that the odyssey was also that like the odyssey to me is basically netflix's daredevil mm-hmm. it was a cool action story released mm-hmm. in sections that was like then that's all done all right forget yeah. that now this happens right
1: and when we get into uh uh, it's a road a, movie. Yeah, when we get it, later in the podcast, we'll talk about that as well. But let's just dive right into the, the scene by scene. So it starts off, and it's uh, there's a chain gang, and they're breaking rocks. Um, in the hot
0: noon sun. Yeah, I they like, fought the law, and the law won.
1: Right. Everett, Pete, and Delmar have escaped. We cut we catch them in Medius res as they're running in the tomato fields. Mm-hmm. While the credits plays song is Big Rock Candy Mountain. Big Rock Mountain. Candy Mountain. Uh, and they're hiding and running in unison, which is gonna be important about how uh, you know, you mentioned before about how they're very much the three stooges. I it seems to be that they're running in unison. That they have decided that that's some advantage to getting
0: away. It seems to be in time with the clinking of the chains, so they're like they won't hear right, us rustling right. when the chain when the pickaxes rather are swinging. Right. Yeah, and they do that a lot
1: in this film. They slide in and out of frame with choreographed timing, mm-hmm. uh, like a Chuck Jones cartoon. Um, they chase, so they get away uh, a little bit. They chase the chicken and they eat it while on the run. Well, they hop a. That's next. Oh, okay. They eat a they chicken They do the before. chicken first. Yeah. Okay. Then they hop aboard a ta- uh, train game. Train train. Yeah. And they hitch up with some hobos for <laughs> very just briefly. Very, sh- very briefly. One of the first good jokes in the whole thing. Everett says the first line, Say, any you boys smithies? Or if not smithies per se, were you otherwise trained in the metallurgical arts before
0: straightened circumstances forcing you into a life of aimless wandering? And then because he's chained to Delmer and John Turturro's name's Pete and he was the only one to, able to hop the train and he assumed they yeah. just could, but they fall down. <laughs> he just gets like squeaked out the yeah, train. Which looks know. like it would have killed Hilarious. him, but th- it's amazing. I'm sure it just killed uh, some man.
1: So we're, we're starting to solidify the idea that they are a group, but you're starting to feel like Everett's what th- the leader and, or at least he's the talker.
0: And what are their unique traits? Yeah. He's the talker. Pete's the very grim, serious, yeah. like emotional one. Yeah. And Delmer's the Philip J. Fry essentially. Right. He's the dummy. So having having
1: uh not gotten on the train, they've immediately discussed leadership, which mm. is so hilarious to me that these cause they're I guess they're still connected, but it's like it's very important to them. And that's something we notice a lot with this group. It's like the superficiality of like Something matters to them a little bit. And in this case, it's leadership. Who's in control? Who's running this crazy thing? And so uh, they have, of course, Pete, uh, who's probably the second most headstrong in the group played by John Turturro and George Clooney. I'd say he's Everett. the most headstrong. He's probably the most headstrong. He
0: ultimately convinces Clooney of That's his true. opinion. Finally, That's true. Finally, in the end. yeah. That's true.
1: <laughs> but I mean... I'll, also, Delmar convinces him to get just baptized. through his it's, sweet a, yeah. niceness. Yeah. Uh, but one, I, I love this joke. It's very um, Marx Brothers, which is just like, well, I think I should be the leader. Well, I think I should be with the leader. And then Delmar says, okay,
0: I'm with you fellers. <laughs> so, they, but yeah, everyone votes for themselves and Delmar's unable yeah. to help. So we move on without knowing who the leader is, which right. is... You don't really need a leader. Yeah, uh, They're just bumblers.
1: At one point, Everett fancies, calls himself a tactician. Yeah. Uh, that's a little important. Uh, but they yeah. get a lift from a blind man driving a hand car on the railway is what happens next.
0: Yep. And he and, tells them. In I just wanted to say in Odyssey terms, because I will shout out the biggest references. Tyrese. beats yeah. the blind seer, who appears at the beginning and tells Odysseus, Essentially, not word for word. Prophecies, exactly. He, yeah, but he also specifically tells him, "You're gonna get home, but it won't be the way you want. And right. You won't find what you seek," which is mm-hmm. what happens here.
1: Yeah, exactly. He tells him, among other prophecies, that he's gonna see a cow on a cotton house. <laughs> Which comes to fruition later. That's to
0: prove that the magic is real, I think. Yes. That's the setup. That it, yeah, needs, yeah.
1: it needs something super specific. Supernatural. And also, when you first hear it, you go, like, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, and then you will find a fortune, but it's not the one you seek, which feels a little bit yeah. more like fortune teller. Like, yeah, that can be true. If you just, like, if you think hard about it, that can be true about yeah. anything kind of stuff. Anyway. Uh, I want to get the rest
0: of that quote. Yeah, I cannot tell you how long this path shall be, but fear not the obstacles in your path, (laughs) for heaven has vouchsafed your reward. You shall follow this road, though it be long, even unto your salvation. And of course, that will all come true in in manners of thinking. Uh,
1: What happens next is the trio make their ways to the house of, and I want to get this right,
0: Washington Wash... Bartholomew Hogwallah Hogwalla. Pete's
1: cousin. <laughs> Pete's so cousin. we now
0: know Pete's name is also yeah. is Pete Hogwallah. And
1: it's <laughs> introduced because Wash's son Uh, shoots at them when they're kind of entering, coming near the house and tells them that he's supposed to shoot men with papers. Uh, Quote, I nicked the census man. Delmar says, now there's a good boy. Or anyone
0: from the bank or anyone from the government. Yeah. I think it's important to establish on the road over. Post
1: post, uh, depression kind of. Yeah.
0: On the road over, uh, they basically know their chains are about to get knocked off. So this is the point where Everett reveals the thing that keeps them together, Mm -hmm. which is he claims to have stolen and stowed $1.2 million, and they're all in it together to go recover it before it gets flooded. Also, during that period, uh, they go like, but how did that blind guy know so much about us? Also, it's weird that they don't help the blind guy push the cart. Did you think about that? Uh, I mean they're assholes. Yeah, I mean I don't. They are assholes. (laughs) I mean they're they're all chained up. Old blind
1: man. Yeah, I don't. I mean at this point you're just on for the ride because like who is he?
0: What is he doing? So he's like, how do you know that stuff about us? And I love Everett goes. Well, maybe he's psychic. You know, the blind can have extrasensory powers due to the deprivation of... But if he's psychic, he said we wouldn't find the treasure. He said we wouldn't get the treasure on account of our obstacles. And he goes, well, what does he know? He's just a blind old man.
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah. And you kind of infer the treasure bit. It does not come out immediately. It's kind of over conversations. You infer there's a treasure. Mm-hmm. What is the treasure? You don't find out until like, Act 3 that it's he like He says he hit an armored mount. car, but... Yeah, yeah.
0: But let's get yeah, it all it out there changing. so we don't have to keep referencing Right, it. right, right. Um, that, so that is the MacGuffin. Pete's cousin knocks their chains off, right. and they have dinner there. And they have dinner, which is weak old horse that I want to add. Wash says at one point, mm, looks like she's turned uh he goes this is mighty fine eating, wash he says yeah. really i slaughtered this horse a week ago i'm afraid she's turned <laughs> i'm afraid she's turned uh my, for- my favorite line in that scene is uh because everett is still always looking for ways to care for his hair and he goes i suppose it'd be the acme of foolishness to inquire whether you have a hairnet." Well, there's a mess in Yon <laughs> <John> Bura. Yon <laughs> Bura. Just the pure love of dialect on uh, display. Yeah, that's what really makes this thing shine mm-hmm.
1: personally. Is and, it the feels like, yeah, and the music. Yeah, the music. Sound. It's like all just doused in mm. Americana. Pete asks Wash about uh, family, as he do, uh, including his wife, which Wash responds, Mrs. Hogwall up and R-U-O, R-U-N-N-O-F-T, which is uh, to protect, I guess, the boy from hearing... The reason, like the boys, not she supposed to know, but as we learn later, he he does. Uh, as an e, did you notice? As an even activity, uh, they all listen to pass the pass the biscuits. Papio Daniel ba- Flower Hour. Papio
0: Daniel, yeah. Of Papio course. Daniel, yeah.
1: Uh, and they play. Uh, you are my sunshine. As Everett combs his hair, yeah. Mm-hmm. That whole that all happens. So we're kind of foreshadowing uh, the mass communicating that happens from Papio Daniel. Yeah.
0: So they sleep in the barn that night. They immediately get turned in by the cousin. <laughs> so yeah. they get woken up in the middle of the night. and The, the hell are you seen saying wash his skin? <laughs> yeah. They get uh, the cops basically burn down the barn that they're sleeping in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Pete. I know we's kin, but they got this depression on. I'll kill you. My favorite thing is actually that uh, a joke I only got this time, maybe the 12th time watching it. Pete says, my pa always said, never trust a hog wallop, which he is also a hog wallop, yeah. as is his pa. Yeah, so exactly. Like, so like never trust Don't trust, trust fa- our family. We're terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, well, I- the, uh, the leader of the cops, who will be characterized as the devil throughout, is the drill instructor from Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, who really? I love so much.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a... Uh, There's something that's interesting that I found is the, uh, in just terms of the comedy, uh, this is where we have the famous line that said, damn, we're in a tight spot said, uh, which is said four times Mm -hmm. in the movie, or four times in this scene, because uh, I didn't notice, or at least I couldn't remember, and when it happened, it made me smile. Uh, which is that Everett says a distant fourth damn we're in a tight spot in a wide... Off like, camera. I mean,
0: like you just hear like, damn we're in a tight spot. It reminded me <laughs> it's of... It's so good. Like uh, Wet Hot American Summer, honestly. Right. yeah, It's amazing comic editing. Good job, Roderick James. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they throw a torch up, which they immediately throw the torch back at the cops,
1: which lights a wagon full of bullets, mm. where they go, that's, that's liquid fire! That's, uh, that's
0: how they're going to escape in wacky fashion. Yeah,
1: giving Wash's son time to help them escape. Also revealing that he knows that R U N N O F T, phonetically as his mom did, run which is off. run away. Yeah. He
0: also wants to run off. Yeah. Um, but instead, they, because they're adults, yeah, <laughs> steal the car from him and make him go home. Right. right. And just take the car, <laughs> and he goes like, "I'll curse upon your names." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "Go home and mind your paw." Right. So they drive it for a while,
1: but then it breaks down. Uh, so at the mechanics. Everett tries to buy and I know this is your favorite tries to buy a car part, scene more yeah. or less in terms of the one Comedy, of the at, least. Uh, at the mechanics, Everett tries to buy Dapper Dan man hair product, uh, and the engine's parts are two weeks away since they're in the middle of nowhere. Also, Dapper Dan They don't carry
0: Dapper Dan, they carry as, FOP.
1: Yes. I don't and want to let fop. you tell it.
0: God damn it, I'm a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> oh, you mean the last line? Well, yeah. Well ain't this place a geographical oddity. Two weeks from everywhere. <laughs>
1: I also love, forget it.
0: A dozen hairnets.
1: I also I don't want fop. Damn it! I'm a tad for Dan, mm-hmm. man. And then the response by the shopkeep is, "Watch your language, young feller. This is a public market, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: which there's no one around." And right after it hard cuts to him, the way he tells them, "We're fucked on the car yeah. front." Like I couldn't find the car part is, well, I swear it didn't look like a one horse town, but try and find yourself a decent hair jelly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so this is when we realize There is a ticking clock Because in four days The Tennessee Valley Authority Is going to dam a river Or blow up a dam They're going to blow up really a matter. dam
1: Which will flood uh, an area of the river Flood a particular flood area there, yeah. they, It's the river a, that's yeah. dammed up
0: There was a town that's been evacuated And that's wherever it used to live And he says that's where the treasure is So that's why they're like We're not going to make it in time on foot mm. What are we going to do about this we car got problem we four days
1: <laughs> so Everett reveals that he stole Watch's watch uh, and so they consult to get a new car oh this is great yeah. which is great because detoro gives him one of the best droopy died hate look you've ever seen like yeah. one of his eyes is half open and he's just so angry because he's
0: so loyal' hate- you stole yeah. my from again
1: who's fixing a betrayeus you didn't know that at the time so I borrowed it till I did know
0: that don't make no sense. Pete, it's a fool who falls for logic in the chambers of the human heart. Yeah. So Pete, I realized his main trait is loyalty and hating traitors.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So he hates... They're all
1: opportunistic to some extent.
0: But he, his overriding trait is loyalty and betrayal are the only two things he sees. Right, right, right. So like when his own cousin betrays him, he goes, I'll kill you. (laughs) And then when his cousin is betrayed, he goes, you betrayed my cousin. Uh, I also love that Delmar,
1: who's always been taking the kind of backseat role, literally being in the backseat of the cars too, uh, he's... He's just such a kind man. He's just like uh, explaining like gopher. He's an
0: ad, he's because they're eating gopher. So in the comedy grid, we often when we come up with these triumvirates as comedy writers, mm-hmm. uh, you try to mix it up and stay fresh. But they're simple. Like everyone should have two facets. So you could be like smart and mean, right? Or dumb and nice, or dumb and mean. And Delmer's definitely the dumb nice. Materia, yeah, link just archetype. like Fry
1: and Bender are both dumb, but one's nice and one's mean. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: They both do dumb jokes, but Bender does. They're, I'm a terrible person. The three way diagram
1: <laughs> that makes that tri- trio work. So, uh, I love,
0: yeah, great evidence here is he compliments uh, Everett on his thievery and then tries to feed him with a gopher on a stick. You mm-hmm. got some light fingers, Everett. Gopher, as if it's a good plan, yeah, Yeah. No, thank you, Delmar. A third of a gopher, it only aroused my appetite without bedding her back down. Oh, you can have it all. Pete and I already had one, we ran across a whole gopher village,
1: right? I was gonna point out that like he was a little bit more stop and start earlier in that line because while that's happening, uh, there's like a getting they're interrupted by the song of a Christian congregation, uh going to be baptized at the river. So it's like they're all mesmerized by the song and these people in these white you know, shawls and yes. such that it's just like, yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a great moment because you don't know why and that's kind of what goes on in like things like Homer's Odyssey, which it's surprising to hear that they argue that they've never actually read it. They just haven't... Yeah, we'll talk about yeah, that uh, later. <laughs> that they kind of nail here that kind of not... Necessarily, any particular thing like uh, like the locust eaters
0: or something, or the lotus, sirens, eaters. lotus eaters. This is the lotus eaters. Clearly, yeah, it clearly, yeah.
1: It's it's they clearly get the aspect of like for some reason for some reason your heroes who usually are up to task are mesmerized by a song, you know, happens which again comes with the happens again. again with the sirens, which I
0: think is why they ultimately made the decision to make this a low key musical, which right. it is, right. Uh, like it's not a full musical, but it kind just of like, is. Oh dang! And yeah, I'll just say about the Lotus Eaters connection. I think it's a very interesting entry in the history of us trying to figure out what they think about fate and religion and metaphysics. Because in the Odyssey, the Lotus Eaters, Lotus is like a deri- an opiate you can drive opium from. Right. it. So it's them stopping in a field and being accosted by this like hippie love cult who just hang around naked all day because they're super chill because they they just eat lotus because they found this huge field of lotus that grows. And he loses a bunch of his men who stop, who don't want to go any further and settle there. It's basically weed. so for them Right. But it's funny. Yeah. It's like he lost some men to, ah, we passed a weed bush and and some dudes were like, I'm out, bro. I'm going (laughs) to bounce. But that they make it evangelical Christianity and chanting and baptism is like a, Pretty heavy religion burn. Opiate of the Masses. Opiate of the Masses, <laughs> yeah. quite literally, yeah. Uh, and it gets who? It gets Delmer and Pete, but not Everett.
1: Yeah, at the river, there's a brief song reprieve of as they're, uh, the, the priest is kind of dunking heads. Down that's to the, the river to Yeah, that's pray. the, oh,
0: fathers, let's go, go down. Now. Which
1: I think might be my
0: second favorite <laughs> song in this. Okay, can we say our favorite in unison? Well, yeah. Three, Two, one, killing floor blues. Oh
1: shit! I forgot about that one. I was gonna say "Man (laughs) of Constant Sorrow" because it's so joyous, but like, yeah, that one is. That's just the uh, instrumental. uh,
0: He sings one verse of it. No, no, no! Tommy sings a verse of it when they're sitting around the campfire, but they talk over him. But singing. that's the
1: one with the slide guitar it goes. Bang, yeah, bang. yeah, that one's really hard
0: times will drive you from door to door. Do, yeah.
1: yeah, that one's really good. Uh, but yeah, it's we get the first real discord of the group. Uh, you know, obviously they were talking about who's the, leader, the friendship. but yeah. Everett responds like. Well, I guess hard times flush the chumps. Everyone's looking for answers, and uh, he's a very smug atheist. <laughs> yeah, and Delron Delmar runs to get baptized. And Delmar comes back and says, "The preacher said all my sins been washed away, including including that piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo." Everett said, "I thought you said you were innocent of those charges." Delmar says, "Well, I was
0: lying, and the preacher said that that sin's been washed away too." Uh, Pete, it's the straight and narrow from here on out, yeah. and heaven is my reward. Reward. So Pete,
1: hearing this, also. Is, buys in and decides to get he's baptized as He's in the middle. Well. He's like,
0: it can't... He literally says in the car yeah. later, it can't hurt to. Can't hurt
1: to, but yeah. he's also like... He's kind of buying excited into about it, yeah, it at yeah. the moment, yeah. Because they
0: both are, are kind of... They but both like, kind of
1: talk about it like they've been saved. And of I course, think, Everett okay. has
0: to explain to Delmer... Well, mm-hmm. see, Delmar, the law won't care that you were baptized. Mm-hmm. Your criminal record is still intact. <laughs> so we kind of jump ahead. But before we do, uh, yeah. they're, they're driving
1: now because yeah. they have bought a they car. They have to pick up
0: their but- covenant. There's a little uh, tiny. The fellow uh, with the gift c- uh,
1: uh, <laughs> But we see there's a short, ver- it's just a shot. It's, I wouldn't call it even a scene. Uh, we see the lawman on their trail with his dog via a Dapper or Dan can next on the forest floor. So oh, where sure. Where they were before, like the previous. All throughout night, the cop's track, Yeah. Them. Specifically so they're driving now. They're still wet. So we know like so somehow they bought a car and Mm -hmm. they're driving all in the matter of like 20 minutes because remember this is like summer in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. So it's just magically teleported into a car or a pawn car. Like uh, that problem
0: where the part was going to take two weeks was solved with money somehow. Right. I think the implication is they sold the watch and got a beater, like yes, got a new car. Yes, that's what they about. A new old talk car. About. Yeah.
1: Uh, and Pete and Delmore are just talking about how they wish that, you know, Everett got baptized. The group then picks up Tommy Johnson, a young black man who claims that... At, He sold his soul to the devil last night at the crossroads that they find him at in exchange for the ability to play the guitar amazingly.
0: Which, of course, is not from the Odyssey, although the Odyssey does often use crossroads imagery to represent similar themes. Uh, The famous blues musician Robert Johnson... Right,
1: that's the ...as a PR thing said
0: that he sold his soul to the devil and that's how come he's so good at guitar. Yeah. So they're mixing and matching all kinds of myths of heroic proportion, including ones from real life. I think that's very interesting because mm-hmm. they really just want this thing to feel like a big fish almost, like a book of American tall tales, you know, right, put together. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, so I, he I love he that interaction where he says, like, uh, he, Elmar uh,
1: introduces Pete and Delmar as these two soggy sons of bitches, mm-hmm. which, because they're both wet, uh, and then he also says, Well, ain't it a small world, spiritually speaking? Beaton Delmar just been baptized and saved. I guess I'm the only one who remains
0: unaffiliated. Right, because there's two people in the car who are on the side of Jesus and one who's owned by the devil. Right.
1: And Tommy says only two basic things, pieces of information. One, that the devil is white. And two, that there's a radio station nearby that, plays, that pays money for singing in a can.
0: Well, point of order, he doesn't just say the devil's white. He says the devil's white with empty eyes yeah. that reflect hellfire yeah, yeah, yeah. and travels with a big hound dog. And we'll talk more about that later. But this was the point where I realized, oh, that's that cop that's chasing them. Uh, and that will get reinforced throughout. There's more and more clues where you're like, yeah, he's the devil. Right. Um, but yeah, he redirects their adventure. Which is, as Abe said, every episode is basically just going to be a new force comes in and redirects them to an adventure. Right, right. And this one is, they need money to travel. And he says, there's a guy who'll pay you $10 to sing into his can, which means record a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> or, no. Uh, if you sing good. Yeah. They're pressing records. They're, yeah. yeah. At this point in time, anyone could go to the radio station Cut and a I record, play, essentially. and if it's read good music, he goes like, okay, here's $10. And then they play it on the radio. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, And this is, I love this scene because not only does it have one of our very uh, favorite, uh, Coen brothers, People, Cast, yeah, yeah. Stephen Root? Root, uh, who plays a very cross eyed Kane toting, uh, radio
0: broadcast bl- engineer. Is he
1: blind? Uh, I he's definitely doing lazy eye work, but there's I just, don't,
0: there's like a plethora of people with eye problems in this, yeah. And he also,
1: I think he's, I think it's hinted at that he's blind because at one point Everett says there's a more of us and. Also, we're black. He has to be.
0: They lie about being black and white based on getting more or less money. Yes, so he can't see that well or he's
1: entirely blind. Uh, But Stephen Root helps him record a song
0: as the Soggy Bottom Boys. Uh, Which I just realized that it, that's because they were just baptized, right? Right. He even now, off the top of his head, he has to make up a band name, and Everett is like mildly insulting Pete and Delmer. Right, and he just called
1: them soggy sons of bitches. To yeah, Tommy. exactly. Yeah, so, and this is where we get the accompaniment. Uh, uh, company, uh, the, the fellow that plays the guitar, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is that for some reason they
0: no no one in this movie can get that. Accompaniment that's right? universal. There's a guy on the radio who has nothing to do with them, yeah, who also can't pronounce accompaniment later. And I think <laughs> it happens
1: three times, which, as we find out, as we ever do every time in this podcast, they love rules of three mm-hmm. so, and sometimes rules of four if they can get away yeah. with it. But if they're gonna make a weird mistake that's like, that's weird, they do it three times, right. and then suddenly you're like, ah, well, that's We're just done. yeah, that's just. That explains it. So stuff.
0: that's where we hear uh, the title track, Abe's Favorite, mm-hmm. Man of Constant Sorrow, I agree. It's in the running for best track. Yeah. And they get 60 bucks instead of $40. bucks. he has got to be blind. By <laughs> claiming that there's six of there's them six when there are only four. Yeah. And on the way out, they pass Papio O'Dannell, who we heard on the radio earlier when they were in Wash's house.
1: Yeah. I love how endearing it is because we hear for the third time now, uh, th- that I think it's Delmar that says, like, there's a guy in there who will pay you to sing in a can. Like, they're just so, like, excited about, man, America's great, because you can just walk around and make money. Yeah. And he's just like, Pappy could not care less.
0: Right, right. Pappy says, don't tell me how to court the electorate. We're not one at a time and here. We're mass communicating. Right. So clearly he's tapped into the idea that the radio is a new propaganda platform. Mm. And this introduces the B-plot, that I don't want to necessarily pause every time, or we can. But th- throughout, there's an ongoing Senate race or right. governor's race mm-hmm. between Papio Daniel, the incumbent, and Homer Stokes, the guy who right. claims that he's going to clean everything sweep up, sweep
1: the nation, yeah, or sweep in, a sweep in Mississippi clean.
0: Classic, like incumbent versus new guy. Right. It, new guy claims incumbent's crooked. Incumbent claims I'm traditional. Yeah. Did you notice that... Uh, so he has
1: his acolyte, who might be his son? I don't, I think I don't, it's his son. Yeah,
0: I think it's his son. That he says,
1: um, that's Governor Menelaus. Menelaus,
0: yeah. Right. What, another Odyssey reference. Another
1: Odyssey reference, because he says, that's Governor Menelaus, past Biscuits Papio Daniel. Yeah. So what is go- so his name is Menelaus Papio
0: Daniel? I think so. So uh, past the Biscuits is his nickname in quotes. Menelaus, is- pass the Biscuits... Pappy O'Daniel. Or is it Pass
1: the Biscuits Pappy and then he just oh. known as past the just known as Pappy O'Daniel I, we never hear his never full understand. commercial,
0: but maybe his tagline is kids creepily going, I mean it's the late thirties. Right. Pass the biscuits, Pappy. You know, yeah. that's his nickname. But anyway, they're mass communicating. Yeah. And meanwhile we follow our guys, of course. They camp out for the night and the Tommy, Tommy plays hard, plays killing hard time floor killing for blues,
1: which if you My haven't heard song. it go to Spotify or wherever. It's such a great track.
0: Now in my life watching it definitely reminds me of the first time Lewin Davis plays Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me. And you're yeah. like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> the Coen brothers have incredible taste in music and can direct the right. production of a music scene so flawlessly. And uh, yeah, between Which is Carter, a separate set of skills.
1: Yeah, between Carter Burrell and T-Bone Burnett, they mm-hmm. both yeah. have...
0: yeah
1: they both have the ability to just find crazy great musicians and do uh like anything from a huge orchestra to a you know chamber music with four pieces to just a guy and a guitar
0: and t-bone burnett is famously like the quentin tarantino of music so he'll go like he's the music nerd he'll go like and you're gonna want this song uh i have it it's only on this pressing from 1912 and they're like, like that is the best song I've ever heard. And we'll heard. talk
1: about how the Soggy Bottom boys are actually kinda in the same way of like boy bands in the two thousands. Yeah. Were formed together. He kinda did a boy band thing. But anyway, uh, they're talking about like what they're they're reminiscing about the future.
0: It's the first heart <laughs> scene where it seems at all like these three guys kinda like each other a little right, bit. Right. They talk about feather beds and silk sheets and what they're gonna do with the loot. Pete's gonna be a mater D
1: and need all the swells. <laughs> and there's kind of like a t- like there's a star in his eye when he goes yeah. like All my meals for free. Like he's these are simple men
0: who just want like a little piece of simplicity that they can call Delmer their Delmer just wants to buy back the farm that his family got foreclosed unfairly upon yeah. by a predatory lender, and that's why he robbed the Piggly Wiggly. So, yeah. like, Delmer is the guy from Hell or High Water. Like, right. he's not even... His crime is just... It's a Robin Hood crime. Yeah, yeah, He he shouldn't even be in prison metaphysically. And he says, (laughs) so he can
1: buy back his family farm. You ain't no kind of man if you ain't got land. You know, it's just so... And then, of course... I think this is the first tip-off... Who's a tactician, self-described, doesn't have a plan. This is
0: the first tip-off that Everett's... Even the first time I saw the movie, this is when I went, well, Everett's lying about the treasure. Mm -hmm. Because he goes... They go, what do you want to do, Everett? And he goes, oh, oh, I... Uh, I haven't thought of it. And they're like, that's weird. Yeah, usually. Did, why'd you steal it? Pete says, very good point. <laughs> Would you have in mind when you stole it in the first place? <laughs> uh, no plan in particular. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which they point out is odd. Um, oh, I love this. So they decided to not sleep in a bar. I just noticed that this time, every time the cops chase them, the exact interaction is always the same. But because they decided the stars are nice tonight and we'll sleep outside, they wake up in the middle of the barn already on fire because they didn't sleep in the See, barn. See,
1: <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was different. I didn't read that the stars oh, okay. were out. I read that it was just that they, slight, they made a slight improvement to their plan. Like they're getting a little bit better. It's not the greatest plan. They're still... Yeah doing whatever is necessary to allow the cops to follow them. They haven't solved the problem of being fugitives. Well, did you also
0: but, notice, because this time they're technically not in a tight spot because they're right. hidden, uh, but he still says in the exact same Delmar intonation, uh, damn, damn. They found our car yes. instead of we're in a tight spot. Well, actually, uh, Delmar says, damn, we got a skedaddle. <laughs> right, right, right. But Clooney says, damn, yeah. they found our car. <laughs> right, right,
1: right. So it's just, yeah. Like they just not in going to auto, sp- run away. Exactly. They're,
0: again, they're in cartoons. They're Looney Tunes. Uh, right. uh, it's also the third
1: time that R-U-N-N-O-F-T is spoken. Yes. In the- and mm-hmm.
0: then here comes yet another wild swing from left field where magically their lives just change direction Right. by chance. So the next day they're walking on the road. Because they lost their car again. And uh, bank
1: robber Babyface Nelson picks them up because he's in a hurry. And uh, he's asking for directions. And they're just taking too much time giving directions to Itabina, which is where he wants to get. Because Babyface Nelson at this point is trying to hit uh, multiple banks in multiple towns. Three banks in two hours. Yeah. Going for the record. And uh, so now they're unwittingly involved in this string of heists that (laughs) Nelson is apparently trying to accomplish.
0: Um, It's a lot like playing an Assassin's Creed game. Have you played any of those? Right, right, right. Where where it's like... Side quest in the middle of your quest. But also, in those games you meet... In the American Revolution one, it's like, who should turn around the corner but Benjamin Franklin? (laughs) Right, right. Like, they randomly meet so many important people from this period, or their fictional analogs. Right. Like, the idea that you would run into... Robert Jordan and then pick him up to hitchhike and then also Robert, or Johnson. Johnson, yeah. And then also meet Babyface Nelson picks you up to hitchhike. Right. Is bizarre. Right. Uh I love also that like Robert Nelson Jordan, is clear sorry. We're painting
1: we're painting this uh picture of Babyface Nelson also because like he's clearly involved in just this is for him it's not for the money the money is like literally unfurling in his bags going out the window and when he shoots at the cops he's announcing how big he is he uh, hates cows more than coppers for some reason so he decides to shoot at them and then the cops hit the cow that's running through the road, and, and get they get and away. Yeah. Uh, it's just insane to me. Like As Cash this flies. guy is just being a piece of shit, but also yeah. like it's so inherently clear that he w- wants to be a big man.
0: Also, as cash flies out the window, and Delver says, Friend, some of your folding money's come unstowed. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So they. uh, I think he's manic depressive, personally. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think it comes back. No one says that term later.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. No one says it, but uh, it's clearly what's happening because in the next scene, Babyface has now brought them into a bank. We robbed the bank at Idabina. And uh, the trio now is an accomplice. Yeah. and I love this line. He says, Remember, Jesus saves, but George Nelson withdraws. And then he like cackles like yeah. a maniacal. And everything's devil fine
0: out. till the most delightful old woman I've Aww. ever seen on yeah. film goes, I'm mean, that, that's babyface Nelson. <laughs> and that and shakes so he babyface to the core. Because you cannot call him babyface, because babies are small men. Yeah. He wants to be a big, big he, man. Yeah.
1: And he's hard and criminal. Uh, so he hate, he despises. The cops calling baby babyface. Yeah. He despises that name and is overcompensating, uh, which is what's, I think, dealing with his rash actions. And it
0: throws him, just being called babyface throws him into like a Tuesday suicides, ecstasy, right. withdrawal, depression. <laughs> right. He just becomes l- laconic. Dead inside. Yeah. yeah. I love uh, Delmer around the fire while they're all counting the fat stacks of cash. That sure was fun, George. Almost makes me wish I hadn't been saved. <laughs> Robin Banks, I can sure see how a fellow would derive a lot of pleasure and satisfaction from it. Mm-hmm. It's okay. <laughs> like, yeah. that's his response.
1: So, uh, <laughs> well, so and then he just leaves. He, he just wa- walks
0: into the night. And he like mumbles and hands them a few stacks of cash, like, I guess you could hear. Yeah. And then he leaves, he just walks into the woods.
1: The next morning, uh, well, I guess actually, yeah, the next morning, we cut to interminate time later, a farmer watches as a propaganda truck passes for Pappy's rival, Homer Stokes, drives specifically past the wheat field near the radio station uh, where the radio man brokers a deal with some form of producer who's mm-hmm. saying, essentially, that the Soggy Bottom Boy single has now become an overnight sensation. Uh, the producer also fails to remember the word accompaniment.
0: <laughs> right. Also, we get... It's clear now that they have warring songs for their campaigns. Right. Papio Daniels was uh, You Are My Sunshine... And Homer Stokes's is keep on the sunny side. Mm-hmm. And I love that they're so. so I think so that's a commentary similar. about how yeah. the politicians are all the same. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you hate Papi O'Dannell. He's like an outsized villain. Right. Played amazingly by Charles Derning. Yeah. We double checked this time. Yeah. Uh, oh, I remember what we never corrected. Let's what? take the time now. Uh, a very key support player in the Cohen canon. Is Peter Stormare.
1: Sto- yes. That, yeah. We
0: said Stormare a lot, and it's Stormare, and it's he Stormare. deserves that. Yeah, yeah, he deserves that. Um, but anyway, Homer Stokes is immediately also problematic because his whole campaign is friend of the little man, and he has a little person mm-hmm. that he's just constantly problematic about. He's pro- using him as a problem. Yeah, like, yeah. isn't that right, little buddy? You're so little. Look how cute right. he is. Vote yeah. for Homer Stokes. <laughs> it's just rubbed the-, the wrong way. Right, right, right. Also, later. (laughs) Well, we'll get there. But I'm saying, like, you already are suspicious of that thing. Yeah, both of them, you're like,
1: I don't like these politicians, which is kind of like an Odyssey thing to do, too. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't trust the people who are rich, it's very every man. Uh, He's
0: constantly hitting various islands where different yeah, evil kings and reside. And people's
1: silver tongues are usually portrayed as, you know, And, of pe- course, devils.
0: Yeah, that's why they're stopping the radio station. We now know, oh, both campaigns are using mass communicating. And-
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also that these guys don't know that they're a huge success. That's the singers, That's this, yeah. the bigger
0: reveal. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Stephen Root tells Stokes... That oh no, Stokes tells Steven Root that Soggy Bottom Boys is the equivalent of like bye 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 bye
1: bye. Yeah, yeah, exactly. from that era. Yeah,
0: <laughs> bye bye. Or bye. toxic. Insane. Like you mentioned, boy bands, Insane. and I agree. Bye, bye bye. He is. He's like housewives love the Soggy Bottom Boys, and this song is the number one pop hit <laughs> to drop your bedonk to. Yeah, that's true. And I want to sign them on a contract to make that my new campaign right. song. Right. Uh, there are betonks to be dropped. Specifically, Stephen Root goes, really, I didn't know it was doing so well. And really? he goes, the record's just going through the goddamn roof. Whole damn state's going AP." <laughs> AP. yeah. <laughs> uh, so the... Uh, oh, sorry. What, and he said, one of my favorite Stephen Root deliveries in the whole thing. Unless this is bad. No, no, no. Okay. You go ahead. Is he goes, uh, we got to get them signed to a long-term contract and use the momentum of this song to help us beat that competition. And... Stephen Rue goes, "Oh Oh, my my yes, we got to beat that competition." (laughs) Like he doesn't care. He doesn't at all. This is the
1: first time he's heard of the competition. That there's competition, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But he's just we got to beat
0: that competition. So simultaneously, the group
1: (laughs) is walking on the road again because they've lost the car to babyface. Delver steals a pie from uh, so a window So this is the cell. second
0: car that they've lost. Because apparently this is a Chuck Jones cartoon. <laughs> right.
1: So yeah, they steal pie, pay for the pie. Uh, and they also, while this montage is happening, this is the all oh, fly away, fly away. Uh, they missed the article, which I didn't notice until this time. Uh, they, they're burning newspapers. The shot blows and, my mind. And yeah, the first page uh, talks about, like, it, ta- it talks about, like, it's a state of the union of everything that's happening in this movie.
0: The front page of the paper is about the dam. The yeah. dam.
1: Then you also see the fact that there's an election on. The front page burns yeah. away. And the last one is that uh, the Soggy Bottom Boys' successes in the paper. And they're just burning it like fire. Yeah.
0: So whenever you are writing your screenplay, filmmakers, and you stop in the middle to say, let's just have the main character in VO go, how did it get to this point? The Omega strain is in the wrong hands, and I only have 12 (laughs) hours. Remember the fucking shot where the Coen brothers recap all the plots with a newspaper that burns a page at a time in a fire. Right. In a matter of like
1: eight seconds. Yeah. You you get caught up with like four things. Uh, They hitchhike. Uh, but they have to hide when they see the chain gang drive by, which is just a great little touch that they—they like, feel guilty. They feel guilty, yeah. but also they don't want to get caught. Or like a few, survivor
0: syndrome. A few like more days pass.
1: Uh, they're walking towards the treasure. Uh, so we get the feeling we're like one or two days
0: left. Halfway before, to the treasure, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, he buys Dapper Dan. They steal a car, so they're on their third car now. Which is
0: weird because I thought Babyface seemed to give them enough money that they could have bought another car. But right,
1: but they were hitchhiking because I guess they had to find a car. But then here they are stealing a car from a market.
0: They're thieves. It's station. easy to imagine off camera that their money pile mm-hmm. goes up and down and up and down.
1: It <laughs> doesn't matter because... Uh, As soon as they get the car, they're immediately once again taken aback by the scene of three women washing clothes in a river and singing. Pete has Uh, the best
0: hearing apparently because he just starts flipping out. Flipping out, (laughs)
1: yeah, biting on his hat. You know, just they're acting like Wolfie from Hanna Barbera. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's just as you as you'd expect out of a 1930s kind of Hayseed movie.
0: And as far as I know, the two the most casual. Like, people who barely know the Odyssey. Mm. The two that they went, oh, is John Goodman has one eye. Uh, oh, yeah. Cyclops. Cyclops. And this one. Oh, I bet they're the... the so- sirens. They're those sirens. Yeah, yeah. the
1: sirens,
0: <laughs> as they call them in the So these movie. are, of course, they beautiful women who sing right. so beautifully that you dash yourself upon the rocks. And
1: it's kind of magical or mystical because you get the feeling that the song is entrancing them, but they're also drugging them with corn whiskey. The point is, they lose consciousness. And they're also
0: just like horny... Guys yeah, who find guys. these women by the side of the road.
1: Upon waking, Delmar finds Pete's clothesline perfectly in the shape of a man next to him. One of my favorite thing is like, because. The heart? Yeah, the heart. I mean, that's just amazing. But also, if you notice uh, when you look at the three shots, because they show like shots of the camera on the ground looking at the feet. All three of them, exact same composition. Mm. The only difference is that uh, Pete is not in his clothes, obviously, because he's gone. But his hat is also overturned and Mm -hmm. upside down. And then, yeah, we have this reveal that, like, they think that they took him or they, like, disappeared him. They
0: left him his heart. (laughs) But then they
1: start seeing right where his heart in, in his chest, it starts beating or it looks like it's beating. Uh, uh, it's revealed that it's just a toad. So he's convinced now that the sirens transformed Pete into a toad, screaming, them sirens did
0: this to Pete. They he loved zippy- him up and turned him into a horny toad. Yeah, I think his idea is he was horny, which is a sin, right. and his punishment is therefore he right. turned into a right. horny toad. Uh, from this point on in the film, he talks to the toad as if it's Pete. <laughs> uh, yeah. So back in the car. Also, oh my God. I don't know if it was an improv, but it's such an un cohen moment that seems straight out of like something we would cut in. Right. How this scene ends. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where I'm pretty sure Tim Blake Nelson legitimately slipped on water while saying a line. Right. Or that's what they were going for <laughs> and they nailed it because he goes. <laughs> Everett, what are we going to do? And he falls. Yeah, yeah. And as he falls, they just hard cut to the next region. Yeah, it's like, ah, these guys. Like he's literally falling back into the water yeah. as it cuts out. <laughs> and then uh, they're back in the car, and Everett says, I'm not sure that's Pete. And this is all delivery, but it's so funny. Yeah. Of course, it's Pete. Look at him. And he, like, puts the frog up to his face. <laughs> Reminded me of planes, trains, and automobiles. Right. Holly yes, Hunter in Raising great. Arizona. Yeah. I love him so uh, much. So much. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: and they're so, so at this point, we got to find some kind of wizard what can change him back. convinced that they need to find a wizard <laughs> yeah. to turn him back. Uh, but they go to a fancy restaurant, they put the toad in a shoebox. Uh, Delmar wants to keep the shoebox uncovered, as Pete would think that they're ashamed of him. But Elmar says it's obviously some kind of judgment on his character. So even Everett is now allowing that it's not just a no. It's not just that's a toad. That's not Pete. He's now being like, even if it was Pete. So so Everett kind of does believe in this mystical thing a little bit. Which sets us up
0: for an Arrested Development joke which is he goes, well, it's because P was fixing to fornicate. And then, of mm-hmm. course, as the cute waitress gets an earshot, this is like a Curb Your Enthusiasm joke, yeah. Delmer loudly goes, well, we too, you and me, we was fixing to fornicate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so what people, including, And like,
0: just like, "Uh, we'll take lunch. you know. Yeah.
1: And uh, here's the best, here's, oh, I love this introduction. Is So the way we're introduced to John Goodman, who plays the Cyclops character, a.k.a. Big Dan Teague, Um, the, when, when Everett pulls out his wad of cash Uh and starts flipping between the bills, you see John Goodman's ears prop up as if the sound of money is heard by the Cyclops and can immediately, who is a Bible salesman that we soon learn is immediately attracted
0: to money. And is not a real Bible salesman, but is a mugger, it's just, a, yeah, yeah, essentially. Just his a cover cycle. is, I'm a Bible salesman. So
1: he invites them for a picnic lunch. They oh, talk did you, about, I just want
0: to say, did you what? notice, because I don't know why this even excites me. I should be sad, but I've never, ever found a visual flaw in a Cohen frame. And when your eye is trained for it, most movies have dozens constantly. Right. There's a diopter shot in his intro where John Goodman's really close in focus and they're in focus in the back, mm. and his shoulder has double shoulder around it. Uh, like the diopter yeah. error. They couldn't get it. Fuck you, Joel. You that's, done fucked up, Ethan. On, this podcast is over. That's on Deacon's. No I, wonder. It's Deacon's fault. It's true. Amateur. I can't amateur. stay mad at Roger. No, nah, Roger, you're too good. Yeah, so he, uh, Big Dan Teague Who, as I said, people, he wears an eye patch, so most people will know now this is the Cyclops (laughs) Cyclops. part of the Odyssey. Basically, it's amazing how even Everett is so well scammed, given that they're con men. Mm. He immediately, he's like, hey, I'm a stranger. How are you doing? You want to pay for my lunch and go to a secluded space with me? And he goes, sounds good, Big Dan. Sounds good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I love how Everett's just like, all the way into like when he's, when Delmar's getting the shit beat out he of him, he starts beating he's Delmar
0: like, with a tree branch. Yeah, what
1: does he say? Uh, uh,
0: what's going on, Big Dan? <laughs> like yeah, like just eating his corn. Big Dan goes, "I'm going to teach you the real lesson now," and starts beating Delmar with a log. Yeah. And he's like, "I don't get it, Big Dan."
1: <laughs> yeah, and I love that Big Dan is just who's who's just finished telling them about a lesson in psychology, which is just about quote assessing your clients but really what he means is he's just like i could tell that i could take advantage of you i'm big and i can beat the shit out of you
0: which is great you have a real way with people big dan how perceptive you can beat up people smaller than you
1: yeah and dan decides to (laughs) big dan decides to yell in the scuffle with uh delmar and big dan uh it's all about the money boys that's it (laughs) and i just thought that that's that's his only like thesis statement is that like other than what he think, because he usually talks about how people talk about Although him it turns or how out, people act, it's the yeah. one time that he's like, "You now know what it is, and this is the reason for it." It yeah. reminds me of Barton Fink.
0: Although he seems like he truly believes in the ethos of the KKK, or like, right. why would he be a member well, yeah. who's defending it? He's also it. So, so it's weird. Yeah, he's weird.
1: He's because like he's just supposed to see, be seen as a fairly a evil. ravening monster. Because yeah.
0: like, if you track it. it like, at the KKK scene, I don't even mm-hmm. understand why he is so mad, you right. know? So <laughs> but he, uh, he, he specifically says, yeah, y'all seen the last of Big Dan Teague, which we haven't. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, also, he, remember, he, also was, he was, was looking toad. at the shoebox because I think that's where he thought all the money was. Mm-hmm. But when he sees it's just a toad, he squishes the toad to death. Delmar freaks out because he thinks it's still Pete. Uh, and uh, so, yeah.
0: They keep hitchhiking
1: back of a hay truck. And now they've learned they've <laughs> he steals their third car. They have now the first one broke down. The second one's the cops got. And then the third, third one. D&D one D&D steals. Steals. D&D.
0: It's a very Lebowski yeah. through line with the cars. But now that they're hitchhiking again mm-hmm. in the back of a truck, they pass another chain gang. And this time Pete is there. <laughs> yeah. And stares at them like you fucking says, assholes got a
1: brother. The heat must
0: be getting to me. Yeah, uh,
1: the sheriff is actually ar- yeah has clearly already caught Pete and is about to hang him. Is the scene that happens before they drive by. Yeah. So it, this is not the first reveal of Pete being taken. But um, so Pete
0: clearly pulled a, a manafort and rolled over. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, the next scene is that Homer gives a speech to Everett's hometown, the servant of the little man, uh, to grasp the broom of reform and sweep this state clean. Uh, and then he introduces the Warvy gals to sing for Homer's caucus, which Everett recognizes as his ex-wife's maiden name.
0: They sing since we're tracking this in the highways, In the hedges, it's that one.
1: Yeah, uh, that's the carpet. After for they this finish, she tells the kids, or no, uh, yeah. Uh, he
0: tells the kid. The kids tell No, the him, kids tell him, you can't be our daddy. The
1: mother was... Yeah, you were hit by a train and he has a no bow. Soon to be married, Uncle Vernon T. Waldrip.
0: Yeah. But I also love...
1: He's bone. There's repeated
0: people just not accepting... He goes, but I'm your daddy. Like, look at me. And they go like. God, they have so much fun with that You're not our daddy. Daddy was hit by a train. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, And this is where we, of course, introduce he's bona fide. He's a suitor. Uh, Which is just, you know, once
0: again. Let's get this pattern down. Yeah, because there's one sequence I especially like. He's a suitor, Mama says he's bona fide. does he got a ring? yep, she had it tested. she says it's bona fide. he's a suitor next week he'll be daddy. nuh uh I'm your daddy. I'm the goddamn paterfamilius, but you ain't bona fide. <laughs> I like that run a lot, yeah,
1: and speaking of like I guess runs of like the game that you're talking about mm-hmm. where everyone
0: just repetition of phrases reason. moving around yes, yeah.
1: and we get that with Familias, but uh like. She yells at her kids at one point. That's not your daddy. He was hit by a train. My favorite part of that, like three-four beat arc, is that the be- only good thing you ever did for those gals was get hit by that train, which he didn't. <laughs> which he didn't. Yeah. So that's right before the cartoonish fight with Vernon and. But uh, yeah, I think,
0: Everett. especially in comedy, we should pause and point out like one of their superpowers that we want to underscore time and again is. They'll have a scene where there's, let's say, 20 lines, but those lines are comprised of the components of five lines. Right. Moved yeah. around all in different ways. Right. And it it works so well. It, Just like the Lebowski, Are You Afraid of Coitus? I came about my rug, so you are afraid of it. What? Coitus? Yeah. <laughs> like what, that same technique is right. on display.
1: It's also there's something about like when you really do something that's weird, or you have some a some language or you have some syntax of language that a character uses that you're like that's not really believable Mm -hmm. uh it just it's so clear that as a screenwriter you can just we'll just do it three more times and now you'll just all people think that that's just an part of the universe the character and
0: it lets you know we're in the cohen cartoon world like we're heightened now speaking of which uh edges sheer love of not saying things the way you've heard them said in movies before right when he asks, Where is my estranged wife, Penny? Short for. Is that right? Penny? Yeah, yeah Penelope, Penelope, right, of course, yeah. the wife in the Odyssey. They say, She's at the five and dime buying nipples. Just such an interesting thing to be doing. Right. That is so of the period. I would never ask where's Abe and have someone go he's at the 5 and dime, dime by, dime by nipples. nipples. And yet I want that on my gravestone. Yeah. It's Michael Swaim. He's wonderf- at the 5 and dime by nipples now.
1: <laughs> just wonderfully archaic. Yeah, just uh, great archaic
0: language. So including he, 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 yeah, sorry. Oh, uh, well when he's fighting with her also, I love that this is her standard for why she had to pretend they have no father and he's dead as he goes, like, what's he got I don't got? And she says, Vernon can provide for them and pay for their clarinet lessons. <laughs> That's right. such a specific... <laughs> he couldn't afford clarinet lessons, so fuck him.
1: And, God, <laughs> it's... I mean, Holly Hunter is Why so lying perfect. Why you succubus? It's, <laughs> she's so perfect. It's just like Raising Arizona, where it's yeah. just like, I'm gonna... This is exactly what this is exactly the way it is and like I'm uh oh, he's counted she's counted <laughs> right ten, so you know? in the
0: odyssey he came back and there were a million suitors and he had to murder them all in this movie all the suitors are represented by Vernon T Waldrip a dandy who looks like Jamie Kennedy who basically does old-timey fisticuffs with oh yeah Clooney and handsome his ass oh yeah and like do you remember how impactful the gunshots felt in 310 to Yuma? Yeah. I feel like this fight scene needs... The sound editing in this fight scene, this fight is more intense than like Born Supremacy or James Bond. When Clooney gets clocked, yeah. you're like, oh, that was meaty. It's also, <laughs> Clooney's
1: really good at being a clown. At like, getting hit. Because when shaking he gets it hit off, and yeah. the, the single shake and like the eyes recoiling and like regaining focus, like, he's nailed that. Oh, he's
0: so good at showing pain on his face and then pulling it back together. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's just flabbergasted
1: that it hurts so much, trying to overcompensate. Like, you get such a
0: read from his yeah. face in this that there, he, he really the Coens is routinely take Clooney to a next level place that i don't Just, think he's at elsewise mm-hmm. like the double takes and i'm gonna do a whole speech about the triple take and intolerable cruelty that right, he manages right. but uh back on track he gets uh the bomb <laughs> rush the most amazing
1: like an extra oh. throws
0: him out and says and stay out of Wolverth's yeah he looks like a human moose like alan chanowith <laughs> again
1: Best Bravo. casting director Bravo. in the business. That man is perfect for that. Stay moment. out
0: of the Woolsworth. Uh, so then they're
1: watching a movie, I guess, uh, which uh, the Chang Gang is brought into. The- oh, that's,
0: I thought that that was a weird break where they're like, well, we have no forward momentum now. We're Let's go to a, a movie. movie. Well, it's yeah. like a, it's a hayseed movie. It's yeah. just
1: like, what's up with these you Or know, like Bob ruffians. Hope on the road to, yeah. to Damascus. What's next? I don't know. <laughs> they go and watch a movie picture. Uh, so the chain gang is brought in to watch the movie, where they actually see Pete, who says, Do not seek the treasure, since he acts through his teeth, and also since he told the sheriff about it, and it's an ambush. Uh, of course... <laughs> Delmar doesn't really listen to this. He's more, he has more thoughts about, we thought you was a toad. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Which means nothing to Pete. So he just repeats, do not seek the treasure. But Pete tells him it's a bushwhack. They're fixing an ambush. Mm. Don't seek the treasure over and over. I think it's important to note that before that, they were commiserating about how women can't be trusted because of the shit with his wife. Just because I think at this point, it should be clear to Delmer that there's no treasure, but he's just so dumb right. that he's still just hanging out with this dude right. who clearly George Clooney is now operating as if the treasure is not a priority now that they have found his wife. But I do like the line, uh, Delmer, I'll tell you this. Woman is the most fiendish instrument ever devised to bedevil the days of man. Bedevil the days of man is fun to say. Mm-hmm. Ever yeah. devised to bedevil the days of man.
1: <laughs> that, is, that is a good
0: line. Um, so now they know it's a bushwhack. Uh, That the treasure will have cops waiting at it. And then, oh, yeah, we get more of the B-plot with Papio Daniel basically just saying... There's
1: trouble, yeah. Our
0: campaign is failing. We have to try harder. His advisors
1: are basically saying, like, we need something and they can't think of anything.
0: Do you agree with me that this is the one week... These scenes with Papio Daniel, they're really Three Stooges? Like, the bits are like... His, his advisors. advisors are cartoonishly stupid, so he hits them with his hat. Yeah. I didn't yeah. find them funny. These, this, these are like the weak spots for me of the movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lack of charisma, I think, in the performances and in the writing. They're, they're just generic bumpkins. It's just like baby
0: Huey is dumb and the guy yeah. hits him. Yeah,
1: But I think they're only they're supposed to be that. I think they're supposed to be... I know. Yeah. Boring in that way. Yeah, and the, three stooges
0: doesn't make me laugh either. Yeah, they're they're like, not the stooges, not they're just the
1: window dressing of yes. stooges. They're they're, they're more the like
0: game. that Looney Tunes with the big guy and the little guy and the little guy always gets mad and hits right, the big guy. Right, yeah. Um but anyway, let's so let's move right on. Although they did remind me of Ah, never mind. Let's move right on.
1: Later Crash, night. Thunder Crash, Storm. Yeah. Uh Peter Storm mare. <laughs> Well, later that night, they sneak into Pete's holding cell and free him. As it turns out, the women have uh, dragged Pete away and turned him into the authorities. The sirens. Not turn, the sirens, not, not into a toad. Nothing obviously.
0: supernatural happened. Yeah. They realized he was a criminal. They got him naked and they turned him in for and the bounty. It's revealed under torture that Pete gave
1: away the treasure's location to the police.
0: And interestingly, which is why I think loyalty's his whole be- being, he's racked with guilt about it. Like, way more than these two people deserve yeah. from him. He's, like, literally praying, God, forgive me or strike me dead. Right. Because the worst thing in his mind is someone who lies to his compatriots and betrays them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which is... It,
1: they, it's also played for, like... Because the halfway through the scene, it completely changes. Because then Everett, who's like, "Ah, you're such a nice guy," and you're saying all this sorry, instead of how pissed he moves, he's gonna be. Yeah, he moves. He's so moved that he confesses that there is no treasure, and he made it up to convince the guys he was chained to to escape with him in order to stop his wife from getting married. But I do like
0: when he's sad. He says the self loathing thing is. Must be the hog wallop in my blood. <laughs> it makes me a betrayer. Oh, yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. But to this, Pete is enraged at Everett because uh, he had two weeks left on his original sentence, so he must serve 50 more years.
0: I only had two weeks left. With the added time from our escape, now I don't get out until 1987. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'll be 84 years old. And Delmer happily goes, Oh, I'll only be 82. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) I also love Delmar. Delmar catching up with Pete is one of my favorite exchanges. Uh, Pete, I need you to know we didn't abandon you. We just thought you was a toad. No, no, they never did turn me into a toad. Well, then that was our mistake then. (laughs) And we was beat up by a Bible salesman and banished from Woolworths. I don't know, Everett. Was it just the one Woolworths branch or all of them? <laughs> I just love that he's like telling a
1: story, like he's the these adventures. are things, yeah. These are the things I did today. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited about it, telling you. The trio stumble upon a rally of Kluklux while well, they're like
0: they literally do the fight in a cartoon where like Pete and Everett are a big ball of smoke <laughs> that mm-hmm. falls down a hill, yeah. and at the bottom of the hill, the smoke dissipates, and they're like. What's that? Oh, shit. It's the KKK, yeah. motherfuckers. And uh, in this clan rally,
1: they're planning on hanging Tommy, uh, the guitar player from before. The trio disguise themselves as Klansmen. Which I do is... like,
0: to their credit, they immediately are. We got to save them. We got to save them, In yeah. the face of 100 clansmen, who I got to compare it to, like, Be Prepared in The Lion mm-hmm. King. Mm-hmm. I love that the Klansmen are treated as evil, but in in the same way that I don't want to glorify like a mass shooter, I don't think this movie gives the Klansmen any dignity or depicts them as even fearsome or terrifying or no, organized. Laughable. They, they do like a goddamn dosy do <laughs> dance, like a hay bale dance in the beginning that's straight out of the Wizard of Oz. It's ridiculous. And they have said that was inspired by the dancing guards in front of the castle and the Wizard of Oz. But I just love... No, the
1: the chant is it's... Yeah, the chant is the witch soldiers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I love that they make the KKK do the stupidest fucking dance you ever saw before they get down to like lynching an innocent man. Um, But yeah, you were saying, so they they do the cartoon thing where they disguise themselves as the KKK, which is another Odyssey reference because they disguise themselves as sheep to escape the Cyclops. And
1: then inexplicably,
0: Big Dan... Well, not inexplicably that big Dan he is a clan them or member something? Yeah. but inexplicably he
1: reveals their identities well that's what happens in the Homer's Odyssey like it smells it's like kind of like the FIFA right. foam it's like smells human so i guess cuz he's met them
0: before now he remembers their smells he knows smells. the smell yeah. so
1: he reveals their identities uh, and then chaos ensues and the grand Riz- wizard himself who's running the uh rips clan, his own mask off uh, is revealed as Homer Stokes um and the tree rush Tommy way, cut the sports of a large burning cross, leaving it to fall on Big Dan, presumably killing him.
0: There's a mild fake out. They throw a Confederate flag as a spear, like right. the flagpole is a spear. It doesn't. Which if yeah. you know the Odyssey, a thrown wooden spear is <clears throat> how they get the Cyclops. Right. So you assume, oh, you're in for it now, John Goodman. He stops it. And you're like, oh, he's going to live. No, a burning cross crushes right. his skull. So
1: yeah. The either Bible way. salesman is killed by a large wooden cross
0: yeah much like in red dead redemption 2 killing the kkk is always a delight and you suffer no consequences and you move on with your life frankly mm-hmm. but now with the added information in your back pocket that homer stokes running for governor is a grand wizard mm-hmm. of the ku klux klan which as abe uh, referenced way early on you're like Okay, well now I don't like him. Even if you liked him yeah. <laughs> better than Papio Daniel, it's right. pretty clear now. Right. Um, so we're we're closing in on the finale. There's a big town hall meeting, an election gala, an election gala. At this point, Papio Daniel is on the verge of giving up. Like he's probably going to lose the election, right? Right. Which in movie logic, now you know. Well, how's he going to miraculously win the election? Well, that's
1: because <laughs> he starts to take up uh, dirty tactics, which is that we learn that Waldrip uh, is Stokes' Stokes's campaign manager, so he's try, his first action is to try to steal him away, realizing that his own advisors are pieces of shit worthless. Yeah. So he's trying to steal him, of which, of course, Waldrip says no to. Which is funny. Like
0: Waldrip is a good... Well... But then Stokes is the Grand Wizard of the KKK. We don't know if he knows We don't know if not. he knows that. Yeah. Well, we
1: kind of, I guess, because all he does is like, when he starts saying like, later, when he starts saying like, I'm a part of an organization, we uh-huh. all know which I'm talking about. Waldrip is like, no, cut the brakes on that. So you, you're either. But he did
0: know about I it. I think he did know
1: about it. Yeah. So he's a
0: piece of shit too. Fuck yeah. him. Yeah. So, he's a suitor. Meanwhile, because he knows Penny's going to be there, uh, George Clooney is given a big This, which is funny, a big like essentially inspirational speech scene, but it's real short and cut off. It's like, look, I betrayed you, and there's no treasure. Can we continue being three lovable con men anyway? And you help me get my (laughs) wife back. And somehow, Pete's like, all right. So they disguise themselves in long fuck off beards. And pretend to be the band mm. so that they can sneak in so he can hit on Penny, essentially. Try to convince Penny that he's
1: turned a straight and narrow and is now bo- indeed
0: fide. Right. Oh, he also reveals he was in jail for practicing law without a license, which is hilarious, of course, because it's a wussy crime and exactly the kind of... You're like, of course, perfect crime for yeah. him.
1: who's all just silver-tongued. And if
0: he tells Penny while they're playing in the jailhouse now, which is a great song, mm-hmm. he leans over to Penny who's in the front of the audience, reveals, hey, it's me. I promise you should get back with me. I want to see my six daughters. I'm on the straight and narrow. I know a guy who can print me up a fake dentistry license. And she's like, we're done. <clears throat> uh, they Also, that's
1: when Vernon tries to switch sides to right. Pappy. What his, they're doing and what uh, Pappy's campaign. doing are all intercut. Yeah. Uh, they put pl- but that leads to them realizing that that's the soggy bottom boys so they the band starts playing man of constant sorrow and that of course brings the house down since it's the new hit and we see them realize it's the
0: bye 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 of this generation them realize we're in sync like they didn't know yeah. that they know that now because and of the way the room reacts
1: pappy seizes the opportunity to dance on stage with them at the end uh while Homer accuses them of messing up the Klan rally, turning the audience against him. So now this is where the constituency, as they say in the movie, uh, has now actually gone 180 from where you walked into the scene. They're now on Pappy's side because just popularity of the Soggy Bottom Boys, I guess. (laughs) Because
0: a popular musician endorsed the candidate. Right. And you'd like to think... Because Homer Stokes is outed as a Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, right? But the way it's shot and edited, you get more the impression that it's just like they really like this song.
1: <laughs> they really love that song, but <laughs> to he the is, point of getting, they get pardoned of he, their crimes because he's the
0: incumbent governor. Remember, right. so he still has pardon abilities. So on stage, he pardons them from crimes that are vague. He doesn't know he what doesn't those know crimes, what crimes are. are.
1: He just double checks. He's like, "You guys are on the straightened and path now." Right? You know, like he double checks for one second, and they go, oh, yes, sir, yes, yes.
0: Uh, I wrote, this was my note word for word. (laughs) Clooney gets so excited because, oh, he also says, you guys are going to be my brain trust, so this is now a real government job that will pay well. Right. So Clooney is now bona fide in this moment. He is bona fide. And he does what I wrote as, an amazing old-timey chicken dance like some fabulous jagger of yore. (laughs) Clooney's dance is up there with The fucking, what's the mumblecore comedy about the guy who throws ham at his llama and then the climactic thing is a dance. Napoleon Dynamite. Oh. Oh, I think this is up there with the Napoleon Dynamite dance. Clearly just kills this crazy Mick Jagger chicken dance.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, like, kicks, he, like, lifts his pants up while he kicks and stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And whereas Odysseus had to fire a single arrow through a hundred axe handles lined up in a row. Mm Mm-hmm. He had to sing "Man of Constant Sorrow," a song he already sang randomly. Once, yeah, you know? yeah, but that's the equivalent action.
1: As they, uh, they, so obviously the mob, <laughs> obviously the mob takes Homer, rides him out, out on a rail, on a rail. Yeah. And as they exit, they see a mob is also captured, Babyface, and the it's announced that he'll be electrocuted, but he announces or he tells everyone he's telling the three, but he's yeah. yelling then yells for all to the of world. To hear, uh, he feels 10 feet tall. Uh, I, I also noticed that a woman in the back
0: as they're leaving yells, cow killer. Yeah, definitely. I was like, uh, Delmer goes, what's a brain trust, Everett? And he goes, well, Delmer, we're going to be the uh, power behind the throne, so to speak. Whoa. Okay. No <laughs> like, oh, he's going to now run the state. Yeah, Delmer. Oh, God. Oh, God. The so, next
1: morning... Clooney
0: clearly has Penny back.
1: Yeah. She he in,
0: has her six kids on leash. Except leashes.
1: she... They're like, <laughs> as long as you retrieve the ring. That's uh, her demand,
0: is he get their original wedding ring, which, of course really is where the tra- where he said the treasure was. It's in their old right, cabin. Right.
1: It's just not a treasure. It's just... A ring.
0: Know. A wedding ring, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's her grandma's ring, right? And it's
1: day of the flood, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. That's the timeline for us. So it's cabin in the valley. Uh, the police have learned the place from Pete, so they're already there waiting for them to arrest them. Which
0: they knew. It's kind of weird. that's like they forgot that they knew that Pete sold them out.
1: Right, but also Pete forgot that you know there's a lot of forgetting and buddy their buddy well
0: george clooney's now like you three tommy delmer and pete are gonna be my wedding party yeah and we're all gonna work together as the brain trust so now they're officially, like, the Scooby-Doo gang, I guess. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> yeah. it's
1: definitely one of those things that, like, Coen Brothers, like, for some reason in my head, it, were this a different movie, I would be a little less enthusiastic about it. I would be like, that doesn't make any sense. But because they have built, spent so much time building up that almost everyone in this world is a cartoon, I'm, like, yeah. a little
0: bit fine with they're it. They're the home team. Of course, yeah. they're together for the final quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the cops are waiting. We got to... Oh, not the final musical number, but we get a real raw musical number, which is the Gravedigger singing. You have to go to that lonesome valley. How about that? By bass, yourself,
1: that bass. Uh, yeah. Sound
0: punctuated by a dude just
1: just hitting the lowest. Just tone singing ever. the brown note, yeah. like the, <laughs> oh, yeah, the I low shit tone. Myself. Yeah. I literally. Oh. Shit uh, but a even though didgeridoo. they've been pardoned, uh, Sheriff Cooley has. Just like oh, I haven't heard that because he's because he's on the, the devil
0: and the devil don't care about man's justice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also think this is the moment where he he explicitly underscores, no, I am the magical devil from the Bible, right? Because he says, I don't respect man's law, and yeah. you're like, oh, so even he knows he's so, not a man.
1: No matter what they do, they're fucked. Uh, we was
0: pardoned. It went out on the radio, right? We ain't got no radio, <laughs> right? It's just this kind of like
1: Brazil. You know, kind of like... Uh, I want your souls. You yeah. Know, um, but then just as... So now they know they're confronted with yeah. death. Then, then they might Ever be... Ju- does something interesting. <laughs> oh, what? He oh, decides yeah, to right. pray to God. Yeah. Which he's not a God-loving man. He's unaffiliated. Uh, so he's one of the... He's, you know, definitely a, like... What do they call him? Foxhole atheist or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and he says, oh, Lord, please look down and recognize our poor sinners. He's, he's asking forgiveness to God and about how w- helpless they are. And for the sake of my family, for Tommy's sake, for Delmar, for Pete's. And this is all happening while in slow, mo- in slow motion we're kind of seeing that the, something's happening somewhere else. And what that something is, is the dam is breaking. Uh, it just takes a little while for it to get, uh, get around to them. So the valley's flooded and they're, quote, unquote, saved tommy finds a ring in a desk that floats by which is just deus ex you know
0: well i think one of the most important shots is that the flood shot the only, rather than doing a massive That's, special effect the way they did the flood shot is just this one long slow-mo completely underwater shot yeah
1: you see a dog of debris uh, floating dog. by
0: Well, the song lonesome valley continues oh, even yeah, though the gravediggers are presumably floating yeah. um and each thing that goes by really is like a look back through the movie <laughs> remember that well it's, this um, happened there's it's dapper rever- cans
1: it's reverse it's very cool looking shot yeah, but i mean it's all it, to me it really does is it it's really just doing the uh wizard of oz which does it at the beginning yes uh but it's like everything's in a whirlwind the twist is
0: tornado vortex back yeah. to yeah 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 um <clears throat> And, and the adapter Dan Cannes. And they are indeed saved, as Tyrese has said they would be. He sees a cow in a cotton house. They're floating on a coffin. So just, you know, I guess that yeah, symbol is just escaping by A Civil by War guarantee. photo.
1: Um, I can't remember whose. A tire on a rope, which I think is just like an American right. symbol.
0: And Tommy finds the roll-top desk with a ring in it by sheer chance, which makes you feel as if his prayer worked. Right. And, of course, they rag him for that. They're like, you prayed and it worked. Like... And he's like, I don't believe in God. And they're <laughs> like, it right. seems like you believe in God. It's just science. God.
1: The river got damned up. And
0: he's like, but it seemed like you believe in God, like, a minute ago, you know? And he goes, well, what's your favorite line? You give this one. Abers. Which one? Sorry, oh, I oh, maybe it's not your favorite line, but I always thought your favorite line in the movie was, well, Pete, any human being will cast about in a moment of stress, <laughs> explaining why he can <laughs> believe in God. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so he, the denouement I'm gonna rocket us Out of this Sure Spectra We're already an hour 20 in Punchline ending Clooney goes back to Penny Everything seems fine The world All is right with the world But Penny reveals That the ring they got Is the wrong ring Now he has to get The right ring and she demands that he does. And that ring now is, is at the bottom of the flooded right. valley. So it's like a new quest. Here we go again. I've counted to three, honey. Tiresias uh, appears on the railroad track. One of the War girls waves at him. End of movie. <laughs> I love how
1: the children are chained together. Yeah, of like they're on leashes of yeah twine because, so they don't want her and get lost but it's like the beginning of the movie you know like
0: oh yeah he has his own little chain gang yeah she yeah exactly <laughs> i also one of my favorite things i never caught till this time is that's uh the final odyssey reference in the movie is honey one ring in the middle of all that water that's one heroic task which is one of the famous tasks in Greek mythology not the Odyssey specifically but is a dude going to the bottom of some body of water and recovering a ring so even that is a reference to just the world of okay which I think we should get into as we move into pedagogy is how is it like the Odyssey that can start us off well I thought it could start us off uh, with pedagogy I have lots of different questions as far as the themes and the meaning but let's start with a light one and bring up the fact that it's fascinating that they claim, and I can see it to be true. I, like, I don't find a reason to disbelieve it. The Coens claim that they've never read The Odyssey or hadn't before writing this film Only anyway. Only g-
1: gathered things from pop culture. Pop culture argue. osmosis. Yeah.
0: And that really struck a chord with me because it cracked. We would be responsible for such a wide variety of things to make fun of. And you gain this ability to know, like... Uh, for example, there were c- people in the room who had never read Harry Potter, but if you said we needed a Harry Potter joke, they know Slytherin's the evil one, mm-hmm. Ron Weasley, red haired large family, yeah. Quidditch, broom sport. Like, you know, four things that you could make a joke if you had to. Right. And it seems like they did that with the Odyssey. They sat in a room where we're like, don't look it up. What do you remember from the Odyssey mm-hmm. from hearing about it throughout our lives?
1: Yeah, that, there's some there's a few sneaky ones that I'm like I don't believe it entirely just because it's such a like random abs- not abstract but like very specific. Like for example, I think there needs to be something like the characters disguise themselves as the KKK leaders when they free Tommy, right?
0: Yeah, which is the sheep and the cyclops story.
1: Right, the sheep hiding. That's Them hiding under the sheep to like escape Polyphemus, I think is his name. Yeah. Uh, That's not like a super well known. Uh, I would say it's more just the Cyclops myth, not that they got away with that. Or even the spear, like the fact that he throws the flaming spear, which blinds the Cyclops. Yeah. Uh, Those are two very distinctive, like, aspects of the Cyclops myth.
0: It's true. And I, I don't, don't know. I've read maybe the Odyssey, they knew, so it's free to know. Yeah, but but it, like I feel like you would remember the Cyclops, the Lotus Eaters, the Sirens. I mean, they're smart sh- dudes. Like, I know like maybe your this. average person who hasn't read the Odyssey would only remember Cyclops and mm-hmm. Sirens. But I couldn't I don't put it past Joel and Ethan that they've heard of the Lotus Eaters and they remember it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, uh, but it's interesting to me because it highlights that spiritually this is a lot like Buster Scruggs in the sense that they wanted to do an anthology romp Mm -hmm. about American mythology. Right, yeah. So that's why Robert Jordan's famous myth is also thrown in. That's why... Tall tales. Other tall tales are thrown in. And I just think that really is the key to unlocking. Like, if you watch this movie that way, it reveals so much of itself. Uh, There's a few other ones I wanted to point out that the internet helped
1: uh, doing research on the internet. Uh, When... You know how they wear beards to sneak into the political rally so Everett uh-huh. can talk to Penny? Uh, in the Odyssey, Odysseus is d- uh, disguised by Athena so he may talk to Penelope uh, at, his, at his own house without the suitors knowing. Right, right, right. So it's okay. like
0: literally a beard. You know? So the uh, big campaign gala is mimicking the like meat hall with the all the suitors home. in it yeah. when Odysseus was yeah. back.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously we talked about the sirens and we talked about big Dan T. Uh, but hit- baby
0: face Nelson also <clears throat> is not from the odyssey. It's from real American. Right. Folklore. Right. Yeah. Uh, something that's interesting
1: is the uh, Harvey, like with the whole, like you are not our daddy. You were hit by a train. Yeah. Uh, so the three Harvey girls don't recognize their dad really, uh, even if they do. Uh, and, they, they just don't believe him, right? Uh, Telemachus, which is Odysseus, Telemachus, Telemachus uh, but it's just because he's been gone son, for twenty five years. Doesn't recognize Odyssey, his own father. Yeah. yeah, that's also like
0: maybe it is Telemachus thinks he was a god. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of oh, and I wanted to mention Pavio Daniel, also based on a real famous corrupt politician who. Oh yeah, no the actual yeah, so like. The ones that I American. noticed that are a blending of real American folklore where Babyface Nelson is based, is an analog for a real dude, uh, Robert Johnson was an analog for Tommy Johnson, mm-hmm. and Pappy O'Daniel. There was really like, like, like a Pappy something flower hour radio show. That was a real thing, and he was modeled after him. There might be more, if you know, because American folklore is less, like, you know, I can't even Rolodex it as easily as The Odyssey. Mm-hmm. But I also think... So the the movie breaks down yeah into this idea of weaving the odyssey with american folklore but also it's a low key musical and i just want to bring special interest to i guess sound editing should be how to do, do that huh okay but but we got to at least talk about the music why oh, do you yeah, think definitely. why do you think the soundtrack is so key and why do you think such a high percentage of this is musical
1: well I, yeah i think there's something to be uh, said about just the fact that there's a um, a radio station that takes place. Like like you mentioned, the Pappy O'Daniel is based on a real figure uh, who had a radio show called The Flower Hour. Um, and he used a backing band called The Light Crust Doughboys. <laughs> so everything was like flower-themed. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and actually, O'Daniel carried a broom as a campaign device for the reform era, promising to sweep away uh, corruption. And uh, his theme song had a hook, please pass the biscuits pappy mm. meaning he's pappy and he's like yeah. giving you all your bread um which but that's great but only but when he you was, call him daddy there, he was well known though because at yeah. this
0: time he was also a he politician. was a politician
1: who yeah. was well known for using radio yeah as his main device yeah as like a campaign device whereas yeah, that's exactly didn't.
0: what it is in the movie they didn't change they anything. didn't change yeah, it yeah. yeah it's not yeah. even
1: a tall tale um the kkk stuff i don't know if peppy o'daniel's Homer
0: Stokes was. I don't think Homer, no Stokes Homer Stokes is based on anyone. If he had
1: a like, if the KKK was involved in. Well, the KKK it's obviously Mississippi are in
0: the 30s. are mythical villains of that time. Yeah, into some I'm just regard. wondering about what's true and what's. I really up. doubt. I can't think of a Homer Stokes analog in real American history, but I'm sure there were politicians who were members of Ku Klux Klan in the South. Yeah, um, but they already split the pappy into two. But you diverted from the soundtrack question immediately. Oh. Well, um, if you want to go
1: to how do you do that, let's do that.
0: No, no, no. That's not how do you do that. I want to ask philosophically. You're writing an... Uh, I mean, I have my own answer, but I was trying to give you some love. The, uh, you're making an adaptation of The Odyssey. Why say it's got to have 12 songs and we got to get T-Bone Burnett for this? I think yeah. <laughs> it's because they're showcasing also the only other authentic form of um, white American music. Yeah. Be- which is like blues and I mean, it's not white, but my point is, I guess what I'm getting at is Tommy is thrown in, but that's really not enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think they felt comfortable showcasing the real authentic (laughs) form of American music, which is rhythm and blues that grew into rock, that grew into hip hop and everything. But like one of the only actual forms of authentic American sound art is like this bluegrass, hayseed country music. So I think right. they felt compelled to include it because this is almost a placemat tour of Americana. Yeah. And so the songs, which have no connection, like the Odyssey is not musical. And I guess it rhymes. The whole thing rhymes. So maybe I'm spitballing here now, but maybe they felt since it was based on an epic poem, it had to be musical as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's more of, um, I mean, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot there. I, I especially like your point about the Americana. Uh, it almost reads like they sold this uh, like soundtrack, and it did really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just because the songs are good, but it like really feels like the album is like a a cut into 1930s to 50s bandstand. You know, it's like all the the tracks that made America America yeah. at the turn of the century into the, for the next hundred years. And so there's something about the musical nature of this time, uh, especially as broadcast becomes a thing, they needed to fill the airwaves and music was the answer to that. So, yeah. there, so it was this kind of, it, it's not just mass communicating. It was mass culturally culturally. Totally. And, and uh, yeah. that's, and I think that like, uh, Tommy plays a role in that. It's not like, it's definitely a, a wider movie, could being a Cohen Brothers movie, but it's also kind of, there's bluegrass, there's, you know, You Are My Sunshine. There's like, even though they all feel old and archaic to us now, it's definitely true that there's multiple types of musics that are uh, represented in just this
0: movie. I just think they're obsessed with American folk music, yeah. much like David Byrne, uh, which is why they'll eventually make a movie about Bob Dylan analog. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, And I also think that might be the reason there's three blind characters is maybe a nod to this movie's about sound. And they often mention, well, close your eyes or, oh, the blind are in tune with different things. Uh, I think pedagogically there's like an ode to sound in the heart of this movie. Yeah. And how important sound is. The the soundscape at the beginning when it's cicadas and then the chain gang. And that's actually a real recording of a real chain gang that they use as the sound effect uh, yeah. and the chain and the song. I don't know. I want to ask them in person. Why is sound so, so <coughs> core to American history to you or why, why did you think this was the movie to showcase music? But maybe they're just like peanut butter and chocolate. These things go together. I think well. so. I think it, also we talked about big Lebowski why is there a cowboy in it? Sometimes they just go for it. Yeah, sometimes they just go. Uh, I did want to point out that T-Bone uh,
1: Burnett, mm-hmm. when getting the Chang Gang, which is an older recording for the sounds in the films, uh, tracked down, which I think is nice, considering that we uh, he tracked down one of the people who were on the Chang Gang that was still alive and gave uh-huh. him money wow uh, for the rights yeah uh even though they That's had great. no rights to it just because they're technically performing in it and right if, if you if you once you use it as art it's now art you yeah. know like uh, totally T-Bone's, which is it's it's also cool
0: that t-bone's like a music detective like he finds recordings that right. have not been heard in 80 years but when
1: you look at it from earlier in this podcast's run uh like how they were like Smacked with Barton Fink's uh, the Mosquito in American Humane mm-hmm. uh, I thought that, w- that was kind of interesting in terms of sometimes they're really good at looking ahead of like what's what's going yeah. on with the logistics of the movie and other times they're not
0: they're clearly getting better at also it. American Humane got upset about the CG cow because they didn't believe them it was cg yeah until that's funny to me because to my modern eyes i'm like it's cg right we it we looks like Harry site. Po- <laughs> it looks like harry potter on top of the troll and harry potter one
1: right. uh they they had to meet up at digital domain which is like a space uh like a neutral space and between American and make and a Maine, cow uh to show how <laughs> the cows cr- were created and then finally the american median association was like oh it also changed um they also, out of this example, uh, there's a few firsts for this movie. But one of the first was the Humane Association added. Uh, it's more familiar now, but then it was more rare. Uh, scenes may, which may appear to place an animal in jeopardy, were simulated. That was something that didn't exist. Oh, I've never seen that before. Is that on credits? That's often in credits. Uh, you know, like or no animals were hurt during the making of this
0: film was the only one that they really had as a motto. I think. I think it was a freakazoid that ended with, correct me if I'm wrong, Internet, no animals were harmed in the making of this cartoon. Okay, someone was mean to my cat and someone shot a duck, but that's it. (laughs) But that's it, someone (laughs) shot a duck. Uh,
1: But yeah, uh, that's, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. I I don't really have an answer going back to the musical question about it. You know, like I, I think it is peanut butter and jelly a little bit.
0: I th- I think it's because it's the on- one of the only authentic forms of American expression that originated in the like continental U.S. Uh, what do you think? Well, it's probably is. I think all of their happy films, uh-huh. and by happy films, what I mean to say, are
1: ones that are kind of like usually have some fools involved and the fools aren't made fun of, but are usually like end up. Okay. So comedies, I guess, because
0: they are musical. They are. Bogle is musical. Also they are Shakespearean. Like, I feel like they're one of the few filmmakers you could line their movies up and sort them into the comedies and the tragedies. Yeah,
1: you really can't. Yeah. (laughs) Even though they're always got like black comedy in their tragedies and Mm. there's usually things that you wouldn't expect to be like heart that you wouldn't expect to see in a comedy. Uh, so they kind of feel like they're this weird dramedy, you know, mm-hmm. space, but they really are, you can clearly delineate which, what's what, in my opinion, yeah. in terms of what happens to the characters. Like, is, does it end in a wedding or a funeral kind of stuff?
0: Every musical movie of theirs is a comedy that I can think of except for Lewin Davis. Um, so I think there they're following, you know, the the general tenant, the comedy is, or the music is a joyous thing you're more likely to use it when you're going to be having a fun time. But it's, then it's interesting that and Davis can say, what if we put together all the most depressing songs mm-hmm. and made that a movie? Uh, there's, mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I'm, there's two, uh, two other references in this movie that I wanted to point out. Okay. Uh, one of them is the one that we kind of talked about a little bit, which is the sheriff devil is uh, if it look, if you recognize how he looks it's not the first time that this look has been put on a sheriff. Uh, it's supposed to be based on Cool Hand Luke's boss Godfrey, who also represents death and the devil in that movie. But uh, and mainly, it's the reflective
0: glasses. It's also, you know, the I kind think that of I realize dog now. I think that counts too. They probably the think rifle. of him. They probably think of Cool Hand Luke as an mm-hmm. American myth too. Yeah, Like, he's probably in the same camp as Babyface Nelson and Pappy Daniel. Exactly,
1: exactly. And uh, when we hear Tommy's line, he's white, white as you folks, with empty eyes, a big hollow voice, he likes to travel around with a mean old hound. I think that's like the American devil now. Right. You know, like, yeah. And the
0: state. Yeah, the oppressive state is the American devil, certainly for a black man in the South at this time. Um, What do you think is the answer as simple as Sepia tone is nostalgic, and this took place in nostalgic time. What do you think is the philosophical decision-making process behind the unbelievable, unprecedented, innovative use of digital color correction in this film? Uh, Which, of course, we'll unpack more in how do you do that. But since it's pedagogy, I'm asking about the artistic choice. You know,
1: uh, I mean, I actually have uh, what they say. What
0: Deakin said in a
1: cinematographer mm-hmm.
0: magazine. Um, he's willing to be more forward than them. Sometimes. He's
1: willing to be. That's yeah. something we noticed with him too. He talks about the process a lot because that's what he's doing, but it's very, um, Ethan and Joel wanted a dry, dusty Delta look with golden sunsets mm-hmm. and they were shooting in this very green area. So, and it was very lush cause it was Mississippi in the summer. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think the dust bowl look, it just made sense for the color schemes that they wanted to set up to be, uh, you know, super muted and super, uh, desaturated. So it might be as
0: practical as turn that green field yellow. Okay. Now the sky looks weird. Let's desaturate everything. Uh,
1: (laughs) and I think, yeah. And it, a lot of people don't give a lot of credit to the fact of otherwise, you know, of course there's black and white films and there's color films of different. Manual colorization. Uh, but.
0: Drawing on the This frames. film
1: really did start a, because it was 2000, it really did start this like, this feeling in movies where like there was a tonal kind of, like if you ever watch now all the movies, like the dark night and stuff like that where all the the tones feel like even your blacks yeah. are blues and your your whites it are looks blue. totally
0: different but before this really is one of the coens true like first yeah. i think before this movie people didn't do choices like they didn't say let's make batman always be muted blue right. so even though it's not they didn't do muted blue they did this interesting yellow bleach bypass right uh this was the first movie where you're like oh Color correction can be part of the creative choice. And I think we may have gone too far with that as a culture. Mm-hmm. Like it might be more harmful than good now, but it certainly works for Oh Brother. I Ooh. mean,
1: you can do this on your phone right now. If you pull out your phone and you pull up Instagram mm-hmm. and you start playing with the Instagram filters and just try to pay attention to the darkest, like take a photo and look at the darkest point, you'll notice that as you scan around, what is, quote, unquote, black is not the same throughout, right? right. And that's the kind of thing that deacons and the colorists were doing in this film is to make it feel kind of, I think, to make it feel otherworldly, to make it feel like it comes from a picture book because you see this kind of thing happen more in less in photography and more in like drawings,
0: and I think that's totally true with the way the shots are set up. So, like, for example, you talk about the long shot where the, Truck playing Homer Stokes' theme song passes a random farmer in a field. The field is made to look like a comically endless field of an endless number of plants that are identical to one another. Right. Like a blinding grid of blank space. Beyond that, and there's many shots where you're like, it's just flat dirt as far as the eye can see to an unbelievable degree. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Mississippi, people who live in Mississippi. Yeah. But uh, I do think they are trying to make it otherworldly. Even the landscape is exaggerated. You're like, okay, I know the landscape is boring in Mississippi, but they found the most boring shot of it possible they're exaggerating it and they knew that they were going to be
1: shooting in summer in mississippi which is crazy because that also means that they knew what tough shoot (laughs) they knew what uh yeah really humid they i mean that's why everyone's sweating in this movie all the time uh but they also knew what kind of greenery was going to be around and it's a very bright green so they knew like so a lot of the costume designer like mary zeofres and like The production designers, um, they had to make sure that no green was involved because they knew that the color crush would affect it too much. Because they uh, they just had to destroy the
0: green, Mm, like to make it even barely green. So if they put a Washington Apple in the movie, it was going to look like gray. Although now you could power window it, but the technology at the time was just beginning to. I mean, yeah. yeah, you could. You still could. You still could. But. They're a crack team, and they support each other throughout the work through pl- process, and that's what's important.
1: But that, that I think that that's this is all in part of like trying to find something that didn't look like Ireland because they right. didn't want something lush; they wanted something dust bowly, dust bully yeah. and old. And it, I think that kind of speaks also to the Odyssey itself because it's like even that story feels like before classical. Yeah, it's like one of the oldest tales we have, and there's American tall tales all in this. So it's all very the color. The color correction
0: for Three Kings reminds me of this color correction in a good way, but I bet most people disagree with me. (laughs) I would disagree. I know, but Uh, that's fine. (laughs) What do you think about the final beat being? I think I know the answer, but he prays and it comes true. So in this universe, God is explicitly real. We're seeing a lot
1: more than we thought we'd see when we started off this podcast, right?
0: Yes. Have you noticed that? But I'm developing a sneaking suspicion that the Coen brothers are kind of even smugger atheists than I thought. Oh, really? Because I'm starting to realize, oh, there's more movies than I thought it's all with a angels in heaven. Right. But right. then I realized, which ones are they? Hudsucker Proxy, which is in a Frank Capra universe. Oh, Brother, which is in a universe of tall tales. And they're all dummies.
1: And Buster Scruggs,
0: which is uh, like a Tex Avery cartoon, even further than a Chuck Jones cartoon. Mm. I think they have a running joke in their work that God is only real in universes that are ridiculous and stupid.
1: (laughs) That's interesting. Like I if like God exists about. in
0: the movie, it's a and clue that we're in a the, cartoon.
1: A cartoon that doesn't make sense
0: to anyone. <laughs> Which is mean to say, but I do think that's their stance. I mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> there's a few others. I, I think that there's... Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I can keep the info on as, as we go. the next one, their
1: 2001 entry. Well, Jesus. But that's... That's an interesting
0: one to talk about. That's why that's we'll that's talk about it. That's why we'll talk ahead. about it on Not This Episode. Uh,
1: but yeah, that's... In, uh, I mean, I, I kind of have the same... Sneaky suspicion. Uh, just because those movies that you mentioned, and in this one in particular, uh, the Coen brothers, like we mentioned with the Busker Scruggs one, I like to argue about how they... They, they don't like poetic justice. They don't like this concept of if you do good things, you're going to get good back from the world. They're like, if you
0: do good, you do bad. Things are going to happen, if good or bad. Except maybe 8% of the time, they do. They, they let do. It, they slip yeah. one in. And they're usually <laughs> the ones where
1: something like this happens, where you have Everett, pray to God and ask for forgiveness and apologize for his sins. and then Or Norval commits suicide, but an angel saves him. And yeah. then you could read it as happenstance, given you know the totality of Coen Brothers cinema, but you yeah. get the sneaky kind of suspicion that even though he's not the greatest guy, he is kind of baptizing himself in this moment, and then he gets baptized by the river, of course. Mm. Um, so it's there is this feeling of providence, and uh, of course, he doesn't acknowledge it even when it happens to him he's like it's just
0: science someone dammed up that river uh although norville is even harder to he jumped off a building and then he's so like that's magic that's literal magic then gets up and walks away right yeah
1: but uh but in those movies they're all uh they're all fools too uh
0: they they might be good fools in terms of like severed a fool yeah. He's like a I would argue he's braggadocious cool. fool, but do you think he's actually dumb? Um, I think... Uh, or is he more... I always thought he was
1: just a rascal. <laughs> I think of them all as kind of different shades of dumb, different types of dumb. He's I not mean, as smart as he thinks he is. He's definitely. not as smart as he thinks he is, and his he considers himself a tactician, but he doesn't have plans uh mm, he true. gets super attached to random things like the superficiality of his hair gel um mm-hmm. like he has things you're he right, has he's, that, a, he's a dumb he man. has that buster <laughs> scruggs uh number five problem which is that he has things that he's very certain about and mm-hmm. he just had this is certain this is what it is girl who got rattled yeah the girl who got five. rattled uh <laughs> and then the second that it doesn't prove itself to him, he gets angry. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then if it's proved back, like if he, he's, he remains alive, he just says, ah, it must have been something else. So he he's dumb in that way. Obviously, Delmar is like simple and Pete is a little less simple, but uh, I see him all as
0: fools. Well, I have only one pedagogy question left. What's your pedagogy situation? Uh,
1: The only one that I wanted to talk about is how much... And they talked about how the title of the film, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, is a reference to the 1941 film by Preston Sturges called Sullivan's Travels, which, by the way, everyone should go out and see if you can get a copy of it. Uh, It's a great movie where the protagonist uh, is a director, uh, and he's like an A-list director of like the 50s. And uh, he everyone's, he's like, yeah, he's a list. He's bored of succeeding. He's bored of succeeding. Usually makes comedies and musicals. And, um, he decides that in his next picture, he's going to do something that confronts the problems of the average man. And one of the name of the movie that he's trying to make, he's, he's decidedly called a brother where art thou, uh, the director goes on a journey of human suffering in the, uh, He goes into Tennessee, I believe, is where he's from and just kind of like hitchhikes and it's a road movie kind of thing. Uh, And he just wants to take stock of the average man. He's felt he's gotten out of touch with it. Um, And a bunch of other things happen to him, just like in this film. Like it's just different chapters of crazy little things that happen. Uh, And it also has got a real... Cool beat at the end of the film. I won't spoil it for you. That involves prisoners at a picture show. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of nods to that. But I think that this is also there's there's a bigger question. It's more of a question, less of an answer that I have. Is um, that was Sturges reflecting, I think, on his life in kind of a half-cock way. Like he kind of was. He was like saying, like, ah, I'm Preston Sturges. I made a lot of crazy movies uh, that were like no one else would have made, and I got. I mean, he was an A-list director at the time. He was like a Capra, Mm. Um, and the Coen brothers knew that they were already success success too. They had gotten an Academy Award, and I wonder if this is their Sullivan's Travels kind of thing.
0: Like, is that? But do you mean genuinely? Like, you think they're saying we're bored of our success? I I don't think so. This I don't
1: think that. I think that the reason that Sturges did it, and if they know know this or they think this as well. Uh, they're kind of poking fun at themselves, like, look how big we are, right? We're not really that big, but it's funny to think of us as, like, big. But Oh Brother doesn't but,
0: strike me as pretentious. Like, it's not Oscar bait or anything. I think that's... It's a fun romp.
1: I think that's what they're autocorrecting, too, is that this movie is, like... It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, we're not pretentious, so we're going to make an everyman thing. Right. And then... And then what else are you going to do? Bro, the, we are, well, we're going to base it on the Odyssey. And right. what, what else are you going to do? Well, we're we're going to title it the Preston Sturges. Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I think they are. Uh, I also think that lays bare one of their core strategies that makes. So they make movies sometimes like mixing an ice cream flavor, like a Ben and Jerry's one that has a chocolate core and a nougat ribbon, mm-hmm. <laughs> and chocolate chunks, because they'll. It's the same as Lebowski. It's like. An adaptation of a Dashiell Hammett novel, but blended with 90s L.A. and bookended with cowboy tropes. This is the Odyssey, but clearly also they were thinking of Sullivan's Travels when they structured it. And they were like, let's throw in John Dillinger and, you know, like random yeah, American uh, folk uh. tales, And... What if it had musical numbers, and yet it all feels so consistent? So like a good Ben and Jerry's pint, like, I didn't know this before we did this podcast, but Deep Analysis has revealed to me one of their best tricks is merge four genres and then make it consistent. Like, you're not actively thinking about, this is a bunch of crazy... Right. It's almost like a Beck song. Like, what genre is this? No, it's not a problem that structure or formality can beat. It's just But man, they never very rarely adapt one thing at a time. No. Like this is an adaptation of four different movie ideas blended together seamlessly. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering about, I want to talk about the actual theme um, because I think it's the hardest (laughs) thing to come to terms with in all of life and everyone eventually has to. And it's destroying me, which is you'll not get the treasure you seek. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even people who achieve their childhood dreams When you get to the real experience, of course, there's a classic syndrome of it's good. It feels different. It's not like everything is now shining light, right? It's not what I imagined. But I don't even mean that. I mean, the vast majority of people will not end up doing whatever they thought they were going to do when they were a kid. Doesn't that make you just want to kill yourself, Abe? How do you give up on that and like the treasure that you get? That is a very common theme in there, or is the answer to pray to God, and then he'll bring you the ring and everything yeah, let's go down to the river <laughs> No to pray. he doesn't get it though because no, he he's like he wants his f- happy family life, yeah, and it ends with no, that's the wrong ring, you got to go out again. life keeps coming at you with obstacles obstacles uh well i here here's the thing with that I mean 'cause the whole reason the, I have a real no. answer
1: and I have like a podcast answer I want the
0: real answer because I'm saying. We made this podcast network to find the treasure we seek, but this is not the treasure that we seek. It's not what we started out seeking. Yeah. uh, I think that uh, paths
1: are made. All right. If you want my real answer, I don't think that you should be looking for answers in literature and films and fiction mm. i think oh, that fiction I, I think that fiction is a wonderful story to uh, pass the time that makes us reflect on the re- the reality of things mm. but they're uh, created by these false gods which are humans Whoever or coen brothers yeah so i don't think i yeah it's true life is that way Uh, and you don't get what you want by some combination of luck and or not working hard enough, or not having having, more hearts, not having the right face or race or gender. You know, like there's there's so many things that get into the making of things that I uh, I think that you just do you. I mean, that's like a soundbite wisdom that makes no
0: sense, but you just. You think you're gonna get the treasure you seek? I. You're still in the denial. Phase. I'm still. I'm still <laughs> drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh,
1: I also just think that like you'll be the treasure you seek is just like to me happiness, like just being happy. And no, like, it's signing a
0: contract <laughs> for a film deal. <laughs> but that's what I'm asked That's what I mean. Is that in this context? Yeah, in this context. That's the hardest aspect in my life. Is. Not getting that treasure. I have other treasures. Yeah, well, I think that there's
1: always. <laughs> my cat is a treasure. <laughs> Your cat is but a treasure. But the treasure
0: I seek, everyone out there listening to this probably already knows, is a Hollywood film deal. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree
1: with that. And that would, that would help with my happiness. But that yeah. to me is also like, that's a that's criteria of my value. Happiness being my value, the criteria. Criterion, being,
0: being the criterion collection, that's my value. <laughs> that's, uh,
1: well, if you want to get that, yeah, I hope you do.
0: I hope you all get the treasure that you the, seek. The treasure. Or learn how to do enjoy no, no, hold on. The do, you not do not seek the well, that's treasure. What, yeah, do not, you won't get the treasure you seek. And it also burns coming from Joel and Ethan Cohen, who, of the people on the earth, I'm sure have struggles, but are probably so close oh, to yeah. the treasure. Closer than most people get to what they yeah. imagined they wanted to do with their lives. It's like, um, They're doing what they want to do with like their lives. It's like that interview with...
1: Um, <laughs> It's like that interview with – there was like a Taylor Swift interview a few years ago Mm. where she was just like – You just gotta keep going. You just gotta keep going, and you'll you'll make it. And And it's like you blew up when you're 14 years old. Yeah, Yeah, you don't know that. You don't know that because (laughs) you didn't do that. You got extremely lucky. You won the lottery immediately, Uh, fast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so what the fuck are
1: you talking about? (laughs) Yeah.
0: And it's just true. Like some people have it easy. It's like you're right. You've gleaned that insight. Oh, and that's the other thing I wanted to take issue with is I know you didn't mean it that way, but be clear, I do think stories often can lead you to insights you didn't have Absolutely. before know, that I are know. true. I know. I was just But I know facetious. what you mean by, like, the story beats bear, don't bear on reality. So, like, Tay Swift is right that that's true wisdom. Mm-hmm. But she gleaned that from hearing that other people say that until she knows that that's a truism of life. Mm-hmm. But she didn't learn that from her own lived experience. Yeah. Well, you don't know, Tay. Tay. You know, (laughs) Charles Durning, Papio Daniel himself did not get a part until he was 41. So like I admire actors like that who did. He was a dance teacher. He was a dance instructor until he got his first film role at 41. So he can say say, stick to your plan, you know. Tim Blake Nelson also was a uh, classic literature
1: like professor.
0: And is, spends most of wasn't his,
1: in this movie until some, like he
0: was their neighbor or something. Spends most of his time directing films. He knew them because he is a director and they're directors. And I believe his wife, uh, they had dinner with his wife and he came along as the husband and they hit it off. And then later they're like, do you want to be in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I think they were just like, read the script and tell us what you think. Yeah. And, he thought, and he said, I don't have to read the script.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, but I right? think it's. I think, well, that's I, the story. I think the the story was that he didn't know that he he thought he was auditioning for a role, and they thought they were just Giving having him a, a look at the script. Oh, okay. And he
0: was hope, and so he auditioned. I don't know what the truth is. Yeah, yeah but, but I I know he and he's definitely appreciative of what an opportunity it was.
1: Oh man, and he's perfect. He's
0: yeah, perfect. yeah, but he told. Yeah, he said to Clooney like the script. Coen Brothers movies are always twice as good on screen as they are in script form. And this is therefore going to be an all time right. classic film. And that is correct. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. No, I'm looking at it right now. Joel. Uh, I think this is up there. Joel with, said he hadn't
0: even seen him act. Like he didn't right. know he was an actor. Uh, this is up there with It's a Wonderful Life, Wizard of Oz, and Sullivan's Travels. It will be remembered forever right. as a classic romp road movie. This is howdy do, do that. So let's. I'm just calling it out. But we're going into howdy do, do that. Yeah,
1: now. the only real uh-huh. important one that we haven't mentioned before, uh, as a part of other things, was um, uh, the sound design work in this. I mean, we talked a little I mean, bit about it's all I've wanted to talk about this uh, whole time. I mean, it, not the, the not the
0: music, the no. sound design, the actual sound design, the placement of sounds. Imagine. So I mean, most people watching a movie don't notice editing unless it's really in your face. Mm-hmm. Imagine noticing hey, this is this the best sound design I've ever heard? Yeah. Literally the sound effects placement, the way in during musical numbers they cut to different spaces and every space yep. is meticulously created. By having all these blind characters and making so many songs central, they cue you up to focus on sound, and the sound design is Breathtaking. This you, is. Um, I don't. I can just tell it's good. You explain why.
1: <laughs> okay. So, the, let me take you shortly through the history of sound design, which is that Uh-oh. it started. It started off kind of as just like what you see on camera is represented. Represented. Like if you see a fly, you see, and it buzzes away. Make the buzz sound. So it was always about the truth of what was on the picture. The diocesis. And then we started. Then we we got into kind of like the late. Late '80s, early '90s, Jurassic Park was kind of one of the first ones to do it, which is they completely do digital soundtracks. So now, now it wasn't about a four-track. Now, in an analog situation, you can literally make as many as your hard drive can take layers of sounds on top of each other, and people got crazy with this. Um, you know, like it's it's a whole fascinating topic. But what's relevant mm. here is that people didn't know how to use it until I think the Coen brothers started using it. And there's a, there's an example of it about how they use chorus work in this movie. Uh, if you look at the, when the congregation is singing, let's go down to the river to pray, the cameras following the actors, meaning it's kind of showing all of the supporting roles of the people who are just a part of the congregation, but it's also as like Delmar and Pete walk closer to the river. Mm -hmm. So, the first thing that I think sound designers started to use sound design as is let's just make a more rich kind of like background bed of like you can hear the lapping of the sounds of the river. You can hear, you know, the wind going through the trees. That's how they decided, OK, we have this now infinite nonlinear space of editing that we can use in sound design. These guys come in and they're like, wow, this is great. We can really use this digital aspect of things. Uh, Multi-drag. To... to Play with things like balance, like coming out of the left or coming out of the right uh, speaker or just like how loud something is based on what's on on screen. They're the first ones to do this kind of thing where as the camera dollies through a few times, the actual mix of the song of uh, Let's Go Down to the River Prey. Changes because if you see like an old woman and then it dollies back a little bit and then you see a young girl, her voice diminishes and hers comes in exactly. So we have this kind of thing that would never happen in like a single that just plays, like in in back when it was just like Elvis Pitch, right? Elvis
0: Pitchers, or Or if you just copy and and pasted the song into the timeline, Yeah, yeah,
1: it became now this orchestra of like what we see, but also ways in which we can remix this completely. Like versatile, like almost infinite number of things that we could hear in the scene.
0: And oh boy, when you talk about what if it's non-diagetic and disjointed, because right. I think one of the best things about film as a medium and why it's the supreme medium is it's actually a, an attention control machine. Right. Because you can go, yeah, we're hearing a woman cry. bitterly, but we're slowly zooming in on a broken tricycle. And that's really stupid, but you're like, oh, a kid got hit by a car. Yeah, It's making your brain connect dots and put thoughts together so they can do things like, again, my favorite is when they're singing down in the valley you gotta go alone, (laughs) lonesome. It's really diegetic. (laughs) You hear the Uh, it seems like their voices are at the proper distance that the camera is. You hear the grit of it being bouncing off trees. You hear it interrupted by their shovel dragging a tiny bit. Then when the flood comes in, their singing continues and becomes studio perfect. Like it was on the soundtrack. And there's no, that's not what would happen if the space flooded, but it's the moment they wanted to create. So now they have infinite moments they can create because it doesn't have to be a real, it doesn't have to be diegetic. Right, usually in the, like, and they even use that tactic
1: in, like, uh, at the beginning of the film when it's, like, it's just a bunch of people picking at stones Mm -hmm. because of the chain gang, and then sometimes it's a close-up of the rock being broken that would have a different sound. Movies were doing this at this time. I mean, blockbuster right. movies were very good at this, but I would, I would, I'm guessing that I can't, cause I can't think of one and I kind of know what I'm talking about, but mm.
0: I, I would ask that the audience,
1: that specific to this kind of thing where we have this idea of montage in the middle of a shot. In other words, the sound design changes inside the shot based on where things Things that are being introduced to the frame and exiting frame and that kind of dance of sound mix. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I, I can't find a lot of movies that use it to this extent or at least definitely not throughout the film. Uh, at this level so these guys really upped the game of sound design and i
0: believe it did win the oscar for sound design i'm not I don't, no. I don't know i don't i looked it up and i found the answer but i want to make sure i'm not citing the opposite of what it i It definitely
1: didn't win from c- cinematography which as we talked about with uh in the case of roger deakins he finally got yeah it. you're
0: right no it it wasn't it didn't win any it was only nominated for adapted screenplay which is crazy to me mm-hmm. because if this Yes, it says at the beginning, this is an adaptation of The Odyssey. This is an original <laughs> screenplay. This is not in yeah. the category of adapted uh, it's film. It's not adapted. This is mm. not true grit, motherfuckers. Yeah. Um, and best cinematography, <laughs> which, of course, when it's Deacons, it's always a nom and never a win. It's
1: Well, I mean... uh, Until, uh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets uh, shafted a lot. Th- it's There's so many crazy elements of uh, about craftsmen that you, are working yeah, on this team that it's just... That Pete Fargo is one of their best films, but it's just insane to me how like every year there's only a few years with cinematography with Deacons where I'm like, like the next year with man who wasn't there is a superbly shot film. But I get how it lost to Catching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Sure.
0: You know? Yeah. Crouching Tiger was a lot harder to make. I don't get this year. Yeah, I agree. Oh, brothers should be way more represented in the Oscars, but Oscars have been and always will be full of shit.
1: Surprisingly, very subdued in terms of camera moves in this movie versus other Coen brothers. And yet, the
0: frame is so groomed and meticulous. Yeah,
1: it's all postcards and brilliant uh, wides, and then dialogue. But there isn't like it's not like Barton Fink, where it like moves around and is a character almost. And wasn't this one of
0: the first feature films edited in Final Cut or Premiere?
1: Um, Well. The, the, it got, no, I think it was just color corrected digitally. I thought They it, had to do a telecine, which is a name for just making a Xerox copy, essentially, of every every film frame into a digital space. They yeah, had no. to do that. To oh,
0: Brother, Where Art? That was arguably the most famous movie ever edited on Final Cut Pro.
1: Oh, wow. It was actually edited Edited in the program, Final Cut Pro. Well, people were working on Avid, which is also digital for a while, but Final Cut Pro is like, that's a market disturber.
0: It's a market disturber, and it was the first, uh, without getting too in the weeds, it it works differently than Avid in a way that invites you to think differently. As Abe said, it makes you think more like Photoshop does or more like a music producer where you're thinking in tracks and layers and opacity of effects on various Mm -hmm. layers. And I really think in this movie you can literally feel... The Coen brothers being so excited about the future of, like, they're I they're playing hard with Final Cut Pro, because they're just like, whoa, look at all this shit we yeah. can do. It's like a new paradigm. Yeah. So I, I think that's part of why the sound editing is so flawless. It was their first meticulous. time. It was their first time with a new sound editing toy, so they're like, this is awesome. Well, yeah. But you owe it to yourself to watch this movie thinking about all the sound, because the sound is unparalleled even in their canon yeah I think it's the best uh listen to it with some
1: headphones if you can mm. if
0: not uh just turn
1: that shit up it's a, it's not only b- brilliant music but it's also just like very meticulous they they take music they take sound away from you at times and you go like oh shit something's really wrong in a way yep. that is different Masterful. than the way that most horror movies do it, where mm-hmm. it's just like the right amount of pause means that you're going to get yeah. uh, like a monster coming out. Well, horror
0: movies now are even worse. They just discovered that sound that makes you feel uncomfortable. Right, and they're right, like, right. play the uncomfort sound.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Apply uncomfort. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that there's a lot of really good digital craftsmanship yeah. work here that is never really talked about, about how this really cut the mold in both, di- like both video and sound. Yes. Was doing stuff that other... Groups, even on the Hollywood like blockbuster level, weren't even doing
0: craft wise. Oh, brother is a pioneer and, and they stepped everything the fuck up. And movies have never been the same. Like, it it had more of an impact than Fargo. I'm not saying it's better, you could argue all day, but Fargo is more traditional. Oh, brother, like, mm-hmm. so raised the bar in a way that's still felt. Um, I got a random how do you do that or trivias, if you will. Man of Constant Sorrow also first written and published by a blind man. I just think there's something about blindness in this movie. Yeah. So Because I think they are like, close your eyes and listen to the movie, but then it's so great to look at too. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There's one thing that,
1: uh, evil dead from earlier podcasts, we've mentioned about how Sam Raimi and the Coen brothers tied at, uh, the hip at NYU uh, I think you guys will notice that Everett McGill's childhood at home at the end of the film, uh, where they go to search for and is submerged, uh, in mm-hmm. the flood. It looks surprisingly like the evil dead's cabin and
0: Sam Raimi's like their butt buddy forever. and, uh, <laughs> Joel
1: Cohn was the assistant editor on that film and it was his first yeah. feature.
0: So, uh, Sam Raimi's in head soccer. I could just be a tiny little homage back. to each other. Definitely, I could see it, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's funny that they destroy it immediately. Yeah, they immediately destroy <laughs> Fuck it. You, <laughs> Fuck you, Sam Raimi. Fuck you, Sam Raimi. My favorite anecdote was George Clooney did not immediately get his character. Like, he didn't feel that he knew how to do the Missouri or Mississippi Cadence properly. So he sent it to his Uncle Jack, who grew up in the Deep South and spent his entire life in the Deep South and had him record all the lines on tape and sent them back. Mm-hmm. And he memorized the lines by listening to the tape over and over. So, first of right. all, the cadence is great, and we owe a lot of credit to his Uncle Jack, but also on the first day of shooting into a scene, or I guess probably rehearsal day, uh, the Coens were like, what? You don't swear anymore? You can't say damn? It turned out his Uncle Jack had cleaned... like he Cleaned said up the back, language, yeah. He made it like inoffensive to God and cut out all the swears and like anything That's objectionable. That's so cute. He like, edited it. That's so cute. And uh, the first time that uncle Jack ever flew in a plane was to go to the premiere of a brother. Where are at that. Uncle Jack. Jack Clooney.
1: <laughs> Jack Clooney. Um, I guess two last or one last thing. Sure. Is, um, then we'll
0: close out. We're at two twenty.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, so Joel Cohen revealed that this film was obviously inspired by the wizard of Oz. Um, But what's crazy is (laughs) that I want you to, I want you to think about this. I don't need you to answer it because it throws it in the face of what we're kind of like our version of the Coen (laughs) brothers. What if the
0: movie's the opposite of what we just said? In
1: an interview on September 14th, 2009 of GQ, Joel Coen said, all we've been doing for the last 25 years is remaking the wizard of Oz. It's true. Sometimes consciously, sometimes we don't realize it until we've made the movie. Oz is the only film we ever just rip off right and left.
0: The way I'm going to respond, well, maybe maybe they're they're not saying we chose to be, like we said, let's make this movie our career. Yeah. They're saying it just happens, right? Right. Um, I'm going to answer by way of loading up, and I do think we should start mentioning this on podcast, our incredible Coen Brothers Brothers shirt, (laughs) uh, now available at the Small Bean store, which, well, I just realized no one, At any given time, Twitter, only a couple people are seeing that shit. So I want to let the people know we have opened a store, a merch store. This is a spontaneous plug, not planned. Abe can back me up on that. Smallbeans.bigcartel.com. And uh, we really, it's not just a cash grab. We put a lot of creative work into it, and so did a lot of great artists. And there's some truly hilarious shirts there, but the one I'm concerning myself with now is the Clothing Brothers Brothers, which has our awesome logos all lined up so I know the Cohen brothers movies in order and I'm going to go through this with that in mind. Blood Simple is not the Wizard of Oz. Raising Arizona arguably is could be the Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Miller's Crossing, what do you think? I think it could be the Wizard of Oz. Components, yeah. Yeah. Barton Fink is the Wizard of That's Oz. That's definitely the Wizard of he Oz. He goes to a magical world.
1: Hudsucker's definitely Wizard of Oz. Uh,
0: Fargo, I don't really see as much as uh, Wizard no. of Oz. There's no group. Everyone's so alienated. Lebowski, <laughs> yeah. Lebowski is Wizard of Oz. Oh, Brother's Wizard this of one, Oz. This one, yeah. Man, it wasn't there. I, f- I don't know what Act that is. Act three. The, yeah, We're going to talk about that one. Intolerable Cruelty is not. It's no. a screwball comedy for sure. Lady Killers is a bizarre one-off that we'll discuss when we get there. Uh, no Country, adaptation, doesn't count. It you, doesn't. <laughs> you couldn't say it's based on The Wizard of Oz. It's based on No Country for Old Burn Man. Burn After Reading, book. I don't know. Burn After Reading. Serious Man is The Wizard of Oz. There's a giant tornado. There's a giant tornado in it. That must be true. True Grit's The Wizard of Oz, kind of. Lewin Davis is The Wizard of Oz. Hill Caesar's yep. Wizard of Oz. Fucking yeah. So... Vonnegut said there's only seven stories and the one that he said is the most ripped off is Cinderella. And of course, Cinderella's not the original. Some caveman probably came up with it. But the idea that someone is good and they don't deserve a bad life and then there's a lot of hope and then it goes away and then at the end, by the skin of their teeth, it comes back and they do get the happy ending. Right? Um, what Wizard of Oz would be, person who's down on their luck is thrown into a crazy new world learns to navigate it becomes powerful in that world it's into the woods and it's finds their way ABA home aba prime comes yeah.
1: back to comes back with a change in it. but i also
0: think they're referring to the fact of like they have so many powerful characters who are pretense mm-hmm. like they do they do the tricks so often of build someone up build someone up they're not what they appeared to be which mm-hmm. is of course the wizard of oz punchline and they love look there's a goal ragtag group of three things are going to go to the goal. The yellow brick road will meander around and adventures will occur.
1: That's the thing now, that I was pointing out is the kind of what you were saying. Has they like the serial chapters.
0: They like chapters. Just
1: like, and then another thing happens. Another thing, like it's Fargo
0: not, stands out because it's not that. because right. it goes in one direction. It definitely, yeah. and they
1: all have act ones, two, threes. But it's like it—it it just feels like, um, in the same way that they're really good at noir, because noir is just a bunch of random circumstances. Well, let's just go to the, let's just go to the bar and see what happens. Well, then we're going to learn about this other yeah.
0: crazy thing that's happening. Oh, Lebowski is Wizard of Oz for sure. Oh yeah. I, I bet that's the one that he was meant when he said, sometimes yeah. it just turns out that way. Because I feel like they probably read that and went, oh, Lebowski was, is Wizard of Oz. Wizard yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I thought that was an interesting quote just because.
0: Really? For sure.
1: I don't think of, when I think of like the catalog of things that I'm even interested in, not like necessarily things I make, I don't think of them as all boiling under one. But maybe no, they no, do. No. I they, think have they have versatility, have for yeah. sure.
0: But it kind of makes me wonder. Buster Scruggs, of course, is the closest to flirting with this, but... Mm. Maybe I... And I never thought I'd say this. Maybe I do want to see, like, a three-season TV series from the Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. Like, well, maybe they want to be episodic. Why don't they try right, it? Like, right. why don't they actually try episodes? Well, I
1: mean, with Fargo, every season, the the per, like, the showrunner the FX, always Fargo. tries to find three Coen brothers' movies that they can nod at and say, like, let's oh. have that moment, for, like, there's, you know, which is random and not really... What I want the to talk, brothers
0: would do I, and, I want to talk about that next episode For Man Who Wasn't There Yeah, 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 that's a good one uh, it, Until then But until then, I yeah. think we should sing Yeah <laughs> I <laughs> am a man <laughs> Of constant <laughs> sorrow I've seen <laughs> trouble All <laughs> <on> my days <laughs> I've been <laughs> fairway To old Kentucky, Kentucky, a place where I was born and raised, a place where he was born and raised. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, everybody, Swame here. With added excitement in my voice because it might equate to money for me. Uh, I just wanted to officially let everyone know through the medium of audio rather than tweets that Small Beans has a merch store now. Yeah, that's right. And this is not just some cash grab with the logos of our shows, although you can get logo tees there if you'd like. We worked very hard with several very talented artists to really present you with shirts and buttons and content to come that we really think is worth your purchase and you're going to enjoy. And if you're someone who hasn't been able to patronize us, this is a fantastic way to support Small Beans directly without having to sign up for Patreon, and of course you get a physical item in return rather than just our glorious, glorious content, which will remain free, but is not free to make. So we'd really appreciate anyone who's willing to check out the SB Merch Store. It is at smallbeans.bigcom Cartel.com, and there you will find a bunch of hilarious shirt designs, some limited edition buttons, as well as an ever-increasing amount of audio content to download. We're talking original rap songs, audiobook versions of short stories, and so on. And we're always brainstorming and trying to add new things to the shop, but we'll stop if no one goes there. So please check it out, smallbeans.bigcartel.com. And as always, we love you!